Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew Estate Studios in California. It's episode 288 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Jay Davis of Blue Smoke of Dallas, Erica Thompson of the Cigar Dojo, and Aaron Nielsen of the Cigar Coop Coalition for our 11th installment of a cigar industry panel discussion. And... As always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. De Los Reyes introduced another chapter of the saga, Saga Celez. Celez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celez is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga Celez carries a blend of Coyolo, Olore, and Piloto Cubano, wrapped in a selected Ecuador Shea Clara wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in four sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retailer for Saga Celez. And by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand is consistently earning the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. Perdomo 20th anniversary blend is all. Is is um, offered in three distinct wrappers: a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan Sangro, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combine these beautifully bourbon barrels wrappers with thick, high priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars, a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing in agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Double H 12 Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel Aids, Perdomo Mulat 23, Perdomo Inenso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Scars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Johnson Drew. The all Maduro Black and Scars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network shows, as well as the California studios for the Thursday Primetime Show, sponsored by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime, episode 288. Today is Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Will Cooper, I am in the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage, joined cross-country by my good friend, colleague, and co-host, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Not, not too bad. You know, I think I was saying, like, I say the regular season comes to the end of the year tomorrow because next week you're into holiday season the rest of the year. That's right. So it's kind of uh, that's kind of it. You know, like next week's Thanksgiving week and you'll have holidays on your mind uh, right right until the end of the year at this point. So uh, uh, enjoy enjoy it while you can here. So yeah. is what I say. Um, but no, it's been a pretty decent week this week. I, I can't complain too much. On some things, no one got sick here. No, 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 nothing, nothing uh, catastrophic, which was good. So yeah. we're doing we're doing some stuff on the cigar coop w- website under the covers, but you know, kind of improving some of the uh, infrastructure and stuff like that. So that I put some plugins and stuff this weekend, you know, on the website. So that's 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 been the excitement, you know. Yeah. So uh, same for you. No, nobody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, and then uh, just. 
Well, you know, all the base. No, there was no excitement around the baseball awards. I thought this year they just were all chalk this year. I thought. Yeah, I think so. I don't. You know, um, the only thing that was going to pop up was you know them not giving Otani the MVP or something like that. That'd be the right. only real big deal. But otherwise, yeah, it was pretty straightforward. All the all the awards. Yeah, I mean, there were no surprises or. I mean, I, everyone who won it, I expected to win it. Um, yeah. um, so I didn't really see any upsets there. I was surprised Cole got unanimous in the AL, but there was really no one in the AL this year for Cy Young. So, yeah. um, you know, you took at it. It was like there was it was Cole because there really wasn't anyone else who was close with that. Yep, exactly. Yep. So now we'll be into hot stove league for the next uh, six to eight weeks. So yep. uh, we'll see what's happening with that uh, as far as things go. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, so, um, you know, uh, we haven't we, we've done media panels and yes, we have some media guys on tonight, but. The media panels, Alan, we kind of do media topics. And then the industry panels, we try to bring in some industry people and we try to do more generic industry topics. So uh, we're not going to be doing media topics tonight, which uh, even though we have media guys on. But um, we, we've assembled a panel uh, for this show. Um, I'm going to introduce them in alphabetical order uh, from Blue Smoke of Dallas uh, and uh, a PCA board member, Mr. Jay Davis. Jay, welcome to the show. Jay? This is not the, this is not the first time you've been on the show, Jay. You, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I muted myself because I didn't want to uh, disrupt his his great introductions. No, um, no. Thank you, Coop and Aaron, for the invite. Uh, looking oh. forward to an exciting show. Always always good to have you, Jay. So uh, so uh, yep. And then from Cigar Dojo, uh, Matt's the Sensei himself, Eric Thompson. Eric, welcome back to Prime Time. Uh, I'm glad to be here, man. Thank you guys. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Coop, for having me on. Can't wait to uh, chat it up with you guys. Well, look, we appreciate it, Eric. Cause, uh, you you just got. I know you just got back from Florida, and then you have your big show tomorrow for 400. So, uh, thank you. It's appreciated. Uh, it's not taken. Yeah, you know, appreciate that a lot. Well, it was uh, it was a long trip and got home last night. So I thought, hey, this will be fun to get right back into it with you guys tonight. So. Oh. Are are you suffering from PFS? <laughs> Let's see, PFS, post Florida that... syndrome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I coop. I suffer from that twenty four seven. I got back. I I got back, and then I see you land in Florida because you landed like the day I left, right? And yeah, the PFS kicked right in. I'm like, God, this guy's not gonna be there for. I didn't get any bug pictures from you. I was a little disappointed. We didn't. There were no bugs. It looked like. Uh, well, there was there was a lot, but I I uh, I forgot to take the pictures. So. Listen, we had a bug in the house last night. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to snap it for you. Um, but I'm hoping it comes back. Then another one. So <laughs> I'm not going to give it away. But this is an absolute classic. Is what this one be? I'll, I'll just tell wait. you that. Yeah. But uh, we had a strange one last night in the house, and I think there's more outside. So. Uh, I'll I'll save that. Yeah, I was like, damn, like you you, you flushed <laughs> it before I want to take a picture. So, <laughs> all right. And then uh, from the Scar Coop Coalition, the dialed guy himself, Aaron Nielsen. Aaron, welcome. Thanks, Coop. Thanks, Aaron, for having me on. Super excited to be on with some of my favorite people tonight. And Aaron, I don't think we've connected at least on video like we are tonight since Vegas. So glad to see you survive. Coop's driving. I heard that, by the way. Hey, it was intentional. I'm just hoping yeah. that you know, I'm, it's like a public service announcement for anybody else out there that may be on the road. You know, <laughs> all I know is Jose Blanco left the 
continent after you drove him. So <laughs> Jose Blanco was 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 very very uh, appreciative of my driving. I want to just say that very clearly. He he, he was uh, he he was like you know Coop. Yeah, I got him. I got him to the Cuban restaurant. You know, so all good. Uh, but um, hey, why don't we just go around the horn first? Um, on what everyone is smoking tonight first. So uh, we'll go in reverse order. Aaron Aaron Nielsen, we'll start with you. I'm going, if you can see it, maybe not. I don't know, kind of. I'm going with the uh, Johnny Tobacconut in Toro. So um been smoking quite a bit of this lately and thought I would start with something a little more on the mild side and then maybe progress my way up. So that's what I'm starting with. Very nice. And uh, actually... Uh... Ben gave it a good review after I've kind of been killing some room one on one stuff last week. So, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, that was a good scar. And you were know, smoking the Toro, right? Um, yeah, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. All right, uh, Eric, what are you smoking? I am smoking a little number called the Sober Mesa Wagashi, uh, hot off the hot off the truck. And so, as you can imagine, I've had quite a few of these already. So, uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to smoking one on the show tonight. Excellent, excellent. Uh, look forward to hearing about it uh, as we go along. And Jay, what do you got tonight? Well, I I'm working on uh, finishing a Regios Tatawahe Havana Casadores, and then depending about how long the show goes, the new Hoya 55 and the Corona Extra. Um, a favorite of mine, the Petite Lenox from LFD. And then if the show goes really long, the uh, new Escaso EL 22 for Pete Johnson for their 20th anniversary of Tatuaje. Uh, I, I don't think we'll have a bear show tonight, but you yeah. never know. If you get through all those, do something wrong. Right. right. <laughs> I'll be I'm holding back today. I'll be asleep if he yeah, gets yeah, yeah. three of those. Yeah, Eric will be I, landing I, in Florida. I have to do right. Barry's show on Sunday, <laughs> so I need I need to be at least somewhat charged for that show. So um, yeah, the time I was on, we only went four hours. It wasn't too bad. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um so I'm popping my cherry tonight. Um okay. Perdomo 30th, Sun Grow. Oh, yeah. I have nice. not I have not smoked a Perdomo 30th to date yet of anything. So uh, I did get these when I was down in Florida. So um, we'll see what happens. Like I said, I uh, I opted to go sun grown because I did smoke a little earlier today. And I, well, you know, I always start with the Connecticut, but uh, I want to smoke that on a clean power. So uh, Aaron, you're not smoking tonight. So we didn't forget about you. Just wanted yeah, everybody. No just wanted everybody. So no, uh, you'll, you'll enjoy that. Like Bryce Harper to first base. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm, t- I'm not a fan of Bryce Harper to first base. So, oh, uh, he has not been a hundred. He hasn't been great at first base. I'll be. He, he look. He he got us some offense at first base. Defensively, he hasn't been that great. So, so. Uh, but that's a that's a that's another story. Uh, for the time being, right now. All right. So, hey, Coop, Coop. Yes. Do you do you say Florida or Florida? Florida. Say it again. Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm. You're from back east. I figured you'd say Florida, like my wife. <laughs> um. It's not dud, dur. You know, it's kind of maybe it's a. Hey, I I I'm with you, man. I make fun of her all the time, but usually those folks from back east, like New Jersey, they say Florida. <laughs> uh, it depends. You know, depends on the. Like, it's, it's funny <laughs> because people in New York will make fun of a New Jersey accent. 
it's really funny. <laughs> right. It's it's very funny. <laughs> so um, yeah. So yeah, before we start, um, so you popped the cherry on a lobster roll. I didn't. You never had a lobster roll beforehand. I never had. I never wow, had. Wow, so okay. uh, when I was in uh, Cocoa Beach, or was that Cocoa? Yeah, it was in Cocoa Beach. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, was really good, man. It was. I got to say, because you went, we went with the Connecticut style. That's the I key. did the warm Connecticut style with the uh, no mayo. Mm-hmm. The mayo kills it with the main style. That's that's the cold style, but but the Connecticut mm-hmm. w- is the way to go. Ah, that was just a lucky uh, guess on my part because they had them both. They have I them just, both usually, yeah, and usually the. Pretty- Usually the Connecticut one's a little harder to get. Mm. So especially outside of the Northeast. So uh so yeah, if you ever come to back to North Carolina, I'll take they have a lobster truck that comes around. Or Ooh. a series of lobster trucks. So literally it's like an ice cream truck that serves lobster rolls and lobster grilled cheese and all that. So nice. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. All right. All right. So we got um a few topics tonight. Um and the idea is like I said I I don't want this to go be a bear show. <laughs> so, uh, so um, we have a little more time, but we'll, we'll, like I said, you guys are going to be the arbitrary how, how much you want to talk here. Um, and what uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I have two larger categories in the first segment. Then there's some fun segments. And then there's a third larger category in rapid fire in the final segment. So um, our usual drill. So this one... Um, I, I think I mentioned I might have mentioned this to Aaron, but I don't. I definitely mentioned this to Jay. I have started seeing, um, you know, I, and I get a lot of e- retailer emails, right, both online and brick and mortar, and I am seeing clearances like I have never seen clearances before. Um, forty percent off, fifty percent off. Cigars that were released in April are being cleared out. And so I have started to look at this and I and I say is, you know, I wanted to pose a couple questions tonight. Um, and this is all under a bigger category of pricing, but um, and market peaking. So first of all, in terms of this clearances that we're seeing, do you guys agree with it? Are you guys seeing it as well? Maybe I'll ask that question because this may make it easy. Maybe a moot point otherwise. Uh, I'll start with uh, I'll start with Eric on this one. I'm gonna pick on people. That's fine. Um, you know, I have to admit, Coop, I'm slightly at a disadvantage here. I don't I don't go into very many brick and mortars. Uh, for one, uh-huh. in Colorado, we don't really have a lot, and then uh-huh. I'm not really close to any, so I can't say as I've noticed it, but I'm sort of ignorant to it, and so I don't know I don't know what to say. I don't have any any good input for you on this one. That's okay. That's okay. We have more to come with this. So how about you, uh, Nielsen? I mean, you are the voice of the consumer here. Um, you, you, I know you, you, you crawl around a lot of websites. Are you seeing this like I'm seeing this? So crawl is that way of like dumpster diving or just like a nice way of saying like I, I like scrounge, if you will. Um, so what Look I'll say. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, so I'll kind of echo a little bit what Eric said. In Chicago, we don't have a ton of lounges. It, it's uh-huh. kind of disappointing, okay. um, especially out by me. But what I'll, but I, but I do shop a lot online, and it's not that I'm here to, to say I don't support my brick and mortar. But um, the lounges that I go to are not so much on clearance, but they specifically the lounge that I belong to, the Byron Lounge. I mean, it's all kind of higher end type right. 
cigars. So they're not ever going to be on clearance. But what I'll say is that kind of to your point in terms of, of the marketing and, and the emails, the incessant, <laughs> my inbox is just blowing up all the time. I have seen a lot of cigars on clearance that I had not seen in the past before. Right. So you're always going to get your kind of crop of cigars that are continually kind of bundled together under the same kind of brand or umbrella that are on discount. But there's there's stuff to your point that was released in like April that is on clearance. And then there's there's brands that I would never expect to be, quote unquote, on clearance that are are on clearance now. And we can get into kind of maybe the reason behind it, but. I absolutely have seen that and um, you know, take advantage of where I can. Um, but a lot of times, you know, they're on clearance for a reason. So I don't end up buying a lot of them, but uh, I have seen it. Yeah. And and for Eric and Aaron, just and everyone else, I was skewing this a little more towards the online piece um, that I was I've seen this. Um, and those not just big catalog houses, but retailers that have a significant online sales component as well. So, um, and like I said, I, I like there was one cigar and I may have pointed it out to you guys, but it was released in April and they're clearing it out already. And I was like, my, at like 40% off. And I was just like mind boggled on that. Um, well, let's get into a little, maybe the whys, but before that, uh, Jay, so I know you're a retailer, uh, you may have a completely different view of this, but I know I already kind of you and I talked a little on this is when I started showing you stuff that was going on. Well, I, I could definitely say that the market is softening. Uh, when I look at our growth from 19 to 20, 20 to 21 and so forth uh, this year, you know, we're rolling up about nine or 10%. And when you consider the price increases, that means we're pretty much flat. Um, also, I think that there's been, uh, there are definitely brands that I would not have expected to put in my closeout bin that I'm putting in my closeout bin. So I, I definitely think they're softening in the market right now. Uh, part of that is there's a lot of overpriced cigars that are newer from newer companies. Um, but the same the same token, uh, you know, when I look at some of the new cigars that have come out, like the Papasaka or the Alfonso Grand Reserva or uh, the Matapa by Foundation, uh, there seems to be a willingness for people to spend that money on those cigars. So I think the market is still healthy, but I think we probably have peaked. And I think that uh, we're going to probably see a slowdown in 24, but I mean, I don't think it'll be an outrageous slowdown like we saw when the cigar boom ended at the end of the 90s. So Jay, let me ask on that note, and so I, I know we were exchanging some emails on that. Don't you think, and this was my theory, and I'll, I'd love to see what anybody else thinks, but I, I think a lot of that has to do with we're on, we're coming out of the the COVID buy, if you will. So the, during COVID, cigar smokers, we had a boom, people were at home, how people picked it up that, that maybe used to smoke before, they got back into it, whatever. Now they're coming back into back into how they used to be. So therefore, it, it spiked, but now it's back. It's so it wouldn't be like necessarily a um, yeah, it's trending down, but back to kind of that leveling off per cut because of the COVID piece versus kind of that boom where it was just the more of the 
the spike and then bottoming out, if that makes sense. So it's not quite a big a spike. I, I don't know, but that's what I was thinking in terms of the COVID effect. Yeah, I mean, definitely more people are going back to work. Um, to give you an example, and this is just an example, uh, Monte Cristo White, which is uh, always a cigar in demand, whether it's online or brick and mortar, um, and that cigar has gone up in price quite a bit over the last few years, but it's still in high demand. Uh, we were backordered substantially on that cigar six, seven months ago. And now Altavis is offering buy four, get one, which is, I haven't seen a four in one, a Monte Cristo white in like five years. And that and Reserve Real, which is another staple brand. So I, I, and that's not the only example, but I mean, I've seen other things by General Cigar and some of the larger companies that uh, they're offering discounts on some pretty impressive SKUs. It's not like they're they're digging in the back of their catalog and saying, oh, here, you can buy one, get one free. But they're taking some regular hot sellers that were hard to get six months ago, and they're starting to discount them. So generally, if the big guys are doing that, that tells me that they're seeing numbers and I'm not seeing on a macro level. Jay, I'll ask you this question. You don't have to answer it, but I mean, you, you're you seeing uh, okay, some of this price slashing that we've seen, whether it's new product or old product, it, it, it affects you guys. I mean, so how do you guys deal with this with the manufacturers when this happens? Because these are like, I, I can make a case for, I'm getting some 20 to 40% cheaper than maybe I get it from you. And, you know, a guy like me wants to still support you. So how are you dealing with this, with the, if you're dealing with this with the manufacturers at all? Well, it, it depends on the store. Um, our store is specifically geared that we don't carry a lot of things that do well online and not because they're bad cigars, mm-hmm. but I've always been of the opinion for the last several, seven or eight years that if a cigar is cheaper online, then I don't carry it. Um, so, you know, something like, for example, Monte, Monte Cristo, not Monte Cristo White or um, Romeo and Juliet Reserve Real, which I mentioned those, even though Altadis is a big company, those are price protected. You can't mm-hmm. sell below a certain price, whether it's online right. or brick and mortar. Uh, so from our perspective, it doesn't really hurt us. Um, with other brands that sometimes you see slashing going on, um, that's a little bit of a concern. But I, I, it's, I don't think there's anything to press the panic button about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, We're still back-ordered from... Arturo Fuente, it's still hard to get certain cigars from Padron. In fact, I'm not even convinced that Padron's making the 6,000 anymore or the Laundress. Um, and we're getting our first shipment of Andalusian Bulls in nine months. But I know that Lito told me that they were out of that wrapper for a while. Um, so, you know, things are getting better from the, the, the COVID days. But um, I, I do think that there's definitely some softness in the market. I mean, in 2021, everything sold. Yeah, And in 2022, it was a little harder. And now this year, um, customers are being a little bit more picky. So I, I definitely see what Aaron says. So, you know, a lot of people that, you know, they're going back to work now. So maybe they were smoking two or three cigars a day. Well, maybe they're smoking four or five cigars a week now. Um, and somebody that was smoking one cigar a week is maybe now back to one cigar a month because they just, they've got more things to do. All right. Um, I'll ask this question back to... Eric and Aaron, is this, do you think like a, a product, for example, is being put on being discounted 40% that was released in April? Are you taking that as the product ain't that good? Or are you taking it as 
the retailer has completely the online retailers completely missed the boat and un, uh, overestimated what their what their market would be for that product. Well, it's probably probably could be. I don't know what the product was, but it could be. You want me to tell? Uh, I'll say what the product is. I'm not trying to. I don't want to beat the company up. Yeah, it was Gurkha. It was Gurkha Ghost Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it could have well, been uh, could have been either of those could have been either of those things. Yeah. They either overestimated or yeah, or they maybe I, they I, bought look, a whole bunch and it just yeah. it didn't go like they thought it would go, yeah. and so now they're they're trying to blow them out or get rid of them. Yeah. Aaron. <laughs> I think he's talking to you, Nielsen. No, I've no, already... I was talking to you, Loomis. Uh, talking Come to on, me? you haven't said anything yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Uh, what Eric says. Um, I mean, as I get, I've you know always got a flood of uh, online retailers with discounts and all that stuff. So I've kind of desensitized myself to you know seeing those come in normally. But there, I think there is more of that going on now, and um, you know, I it's hard to it's hard to like really maintain your kind of reactionary to the market kind of a thing so i think some retailers as you know the, you know during the covid years when you know people started buying like crazy and they didn't have you know they started needing to buy whatever they could buy to have stock and you know they were selling whatever they could get in the store you know some people don't stay on kind of on that path and say you know at some point this is going to start easing up and we just need to you know not be in a spot where we get stuck like that so some of those companies may have kind of taken that that path where they just felt like, hey, this is going to keep running for a long time. Yep. And maybe they maybe this is just their normal strategy when this occurs is, you know, we can go deep and we just, just you know, heavily discount when we get to that point. And, you know, and they may have that as a strategy that's ongoing and they don't get that hurt from doing it. But um, some people, I don't think, have that luxury and then they, they do get stuck with a bunch of inventory and they really they really struggle to kind of parse that out. Yeah, and I think uh, what Jay and and, Eric, and you guys said a minute ago was so true. Like with in COVID, you know, people had money that they were getting as stimulus from the government, and it's a lot different when you have that kind of money that it's it's it feels like it's like free money. Um, you're 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 going to be a lot less picky about how much and what you buy, and that obviously that added to the the crazy you know spike in sales and stuff, which we all know, and plus the fact that people were home. And had nothing else to do but smoke cigars. But there's also probably all kinds of other, you know, factors now. Now you've got crazy inflation, you know, everything's up. Milk is up. Eggs are up. Cars are way, way up. You know, interest rates are up. And so that just starts to, you know, uh, tighten people's wallets. And then you just add on to another factor, which is things just ha have natural cycles. You know, certain things have natural cycles. It's theoretically possible that, you know, cigars would have kind of started to soften right now anyways without all these other factors so you throw it all together and yep. i think people are buying less and it, it kind of makes sense hopefully it won't be uh i don't think it'll be you know a disaster or anything but it could it could hurt some people that may have overbought like the company you're talking about yeah and i just want to make a slight cut it was 36 percent that ghost was was being uh reduced by so it still was significant but i want to just be accurate on that um, rather than generals, and and they weren't the only product, by the way. In that, there were uh, that was just one of the newer ones that I caught. Um, but you, Eric, you make a good point. It segues to my next question. So we're seeing this higher price market with cigars. Uh, mm -hmm. we 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 over the last year we saw price increases, right? 
And now we're seeing first. Now we're seeing a crop of cigars emerge, the hundred dollar or more releases, right? So we've seen Rocky Patel is is did is has his coming out this month's conviction. Uh, Saka did two more unicorns this year, limited at albeit mid me. Um, Placencia's got their hundred dollar cigar coming out, and let's oh we'll leave it with three hundred dollars. So. I put in the notes 2020. You, I, this is, you guys expect this to continue into next year? Like, first of all, with those very high price points. I'll I'll start with you, Eric, on this one again. Yeah, I I can I see this cons, you know being consistent as a marketing ploy from now on because they don't. It doesn't. It really isn't about selling the hundred dollar cigars so much as it is. It's it's sort of like uh, when a Dodge dealership would have a couple Vipers sitting on their lot, right? Yep. Like that that brings people in. They want to look at that Viper. And, and then when they buy the Dodge Dart, they feel like they're in that Viper, you know, like it's a it's a great marketing technique. And it's it's sort of like uh, a liquor store has Pappy Van Winkle maybe on the shelf that you could buy a pour of. But it's two hundred and twenty dollars for a, a, a pour of Pappy Van Winkle. They don't really want to sell the Pappy Van right. Winkle that much, but they just want to have it on the shelf. Something cool, something in the humidor that you look at and you're like, wow. Look at that hundred dollars, uh, Steve Saka Dunbarton. You know that brulee. Oh God, that's so cool! I'll just buy the regular. Uh, I'll buy the regular blue though, which is affordable for me. But it's a it's a way to get people jazzed up about something that's you know interesting and amazing. So I see a lot more companies doing this just from here on out. It's a great marketing ploy. I love it. It's a good point. It's a very good point what you made on that. Like, because uh, Saka is getting a lot of attention on this. Um, just and whether he sells or not, he's getting the attention. It's a good point. Oliva is certainly going to get their attention when that hits as well. And there's an audience for it, like you said, different audience. Uh, I'll go to you, Nielsen. What do you think on this one? Yeah, I love I love Eric's analogy with the the Viper. So I I think look the, the cigar industry's we'll call it a niche market, right? For all in argument's sake, this is geared towards such a in small minute population that would a even consider it but b buy it however um to eric's point i mean it creates buzz right and it's uh you know you're not going to see somebody sitting around smoking unicorns all day long but you know the special occasion the hey i'm gonna try this what you know i get a group of guys together and it's like hey Guys, check this out. I, I bought this. I wonder, you know, what this thing smokes like. I mean, I know a, a friend of mine, We he bought two of the unicorns, and it was just for this sheer fact of let's just see what a $100 cigar tastes like. Now, granted, I mean, it's a one-off. I mean, we're not going to probably go back to it. I mean, just based on our smoking preferences and what we smoke. But I think it's I think it's here to stay. Where it goes in terms of numbers and, and actual or, uh, manufacturers that could even pull it off, probably not many. Um, but I think it's, I think the novelty of it and what it's intended for and the audience it's intended for, I think it's here to stay. I, I, nice. I, I'm not disagreeing with this either. Uh, Jay, how about you? Is this, we're going to see this continue? Well, I hope so. Um, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's a shameless plug. Right. I, especially, I think when you, you look at the demand in, uh, Asia and the Middle East and Europe, 
I mean, you can buy a Cohiba talisman, what was it, $385? Uh, Davidoff is certainly into that. Uh, El Septimo has, I think, a $110 cigar that I that I recently smoked. Um, Oliva, the $300 cigar, which is for charity, that they, they sold out of their allocation. I couldn't even get a box. Um, yeah, I think I think that there's definitely a market for it. Um, I think, you know, this sort of started with Davidoff and, and Fuente, uh, you know, as, as a way for retailers, it's kind of similar to the Pappy Van Winkle situation. Oh, well, if you're carrying all these core lines, then you have access to the Halo product. And there are people that uh, do want that. I mean, I had a guy come into my store last week. Uh, we're charging $110 for a single Anarchy and uh, like $13.50 for a box of 15 and he just wanted to try it. And we certainly seen that with Steve Saka. I was joking with Steve at the trade show that every year I buy two or three trays of unicorns thinking they're never going to sell. And they just, people just buy them. They just disappear. So, you know, people are, I mean, I remember when you could get a decent bottle of bourbon for $20 and people are not afraid to pay 70, 80, $100 for a bottle of Colonel Taylor or whatever good bourbon. And you're seeing that um, if people feel like there's a quality there and definitely when, when you see the demand in the, the European market, um, yeah, people are willing to pay for it. Like I think like with uh, Christian just came out with the sensorium. I think that's an interesting example where he's working with a very difficult crop that has failed many times. So there's, there's a lot of cost in that. And I get that question all the time. You know, is this cigar worth it? And I always say to customers, no cigar is worth $100, but that doesn't change the fact that there are things that are involved that may make it cost that. So, for example, with Marifel, which every time I get in 20 boxes, they just sell within a week. They had to invent new technology with an aerospace company in order to cut the labels in a certain way. And they import Japanese wood that's really expensive and is carbon neutral. And then they make the cigars in the Dominican Republic at different factories and they ship it to Belgium. So I think it's, you know, you know, you could try McAllen 30. Is McAllen 30 really 10 or 15 times better than McAllen 17? Probably not. But when you consider the extra costs involved. So I think if a customer sees that, they see the value. Like with Christian Cigar, you understand that maybe he might have five crops fail before he gets one that has the tobacco that will make that cigar work. So I think in some instances, people are willing to, to get something that's rare. And, you know, I mean, we live in a world where people will spend $100,000 on a watch when their iPhone tells them the time and is more accurate. So I think that this is here to stay, but it is also an example of where the wheat gets separated from the chaff very quickly. Uh, you know, people are willing to spend $40 on a foundation night commander uh, from from Nick, but maybe they won't be willing to pay for it on X cigar if they don't feel like the quality is there. So I think people will buy it once. The question is, will they come back? And with certain brands like Marifel, who doesn't even exhibit at the trade show, I've had no trouble selling a box of 10 cigars that are $93 a piece. But when people consider the workmanship with the labels and the ashtray and the wood and all that. So definitely, I mean, I had a guy come into my store on a Saturday night. I was working for my employee that was sick. Guy comes in and I'm like, the box is $1,150. Didn't ask for a discount. He just starts throwing out 20s. 
mean, I felt like I was at a strip club. It was it was ridiculous. And his his only thing that he said to me is, I've been trying to find these everywhere. And he goes, your price is great. And I'm like, I'm just charging MSRP. So I think there's definitely a demand that will continue to be a demand. Um, I mean, we sold a couple of the Daniel Marshall. I think it's the 38th anniversary where I think a box of eight cigars is $1,600, $1,700. So I think there's that's definitely a place in the market. Um, I know that Tatawahe and my father are working on the La Union that's coming out in the next couple of years. And I think those are going to be about $100 a cigar. Mm -hmm. So I think some companies will succeed in this range and some won't. And it's just going to come down to what the consumers want to revisit. And Steve Saka has definitely shown that he can make a unicorn and sell for $100 all day long, even higher in a a state like California or Texas and people uh, or or New York, and they'll buy them. So I I think we're going to see more of these types of offerings. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all. Loomis, how about you? Any any thoughts about that as well? Yeah, I, I think it will continue um, until the saturation point hits and then, um, you know, kind of see that Gurkha-style catalog discount where it's like, you know, you see the cigar price and then you see a slash to it and, you know, what they're charging for it now. So you think you're getting a super-duper deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, Cigars are a luxury product, um, and you know there are those people that are, are buying based on kind of that notion that they're getting something that's high priced, whether it's worth it or not. Um, but I think at some point that that's going to hit a tipping point, and um, somebody's going to make it cool to to not sell those, and uh, there'll be a, a change in, in how how the market kind of goes. So um, it just kind of ebbs and flows, I think, like this. But um, uh, yeah, it's. To me, it's they don't make any sense. So, um, I agree with that as well. Uh, my here's my theory on what I think is going to happen. I think in 2024 we're going to start to see some of these companies, and we already saw Oliva do it, go to 300. But I think you're going to see some of these companies push the 200 mark next year. I don't think you'll see anyone maybe go ahead of Oro Blanco at 600 yet, but I think they're going to try to go ahead with with um with the 200. I really do. I think they'll they'll try it until, like you said, there's a saturation point where they just know they can't do it anymore. And well, then, they missed the mark. This is like the the razor wars where you, like then you went two blades and you went three blades. Like, just why waste time? Like incrementally, just go to the top, go to a thousand dollars a cigar, and just be like the well, be that's the guy Dab- at the beginning. Just yeah, that's what Davidoff right did. That's what Davidoff did. You know? You're about yeah. ten years ago. They did that. Yeah. Yeah. They said we went to five. Now they raised it to six when they make it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I'd be interested in hearing what your guys thoughts are, because I had a number of manufacturers tell me at the trade show. I know Rocky Patel told me this and Placencia told me this and Oliva told me this. If you don't want to buy this cigar, that's one hundred dollars or three hundred dollars. Fine. We can sell them all in Europe. Yeah. Rocky, I I, Rocky told manufacturers us that. Are, I think the manufacturers are right about that. So I think until the demand and the imbalance with Cuban cigars and the pricing of Cubans gets fixed, I think we're going to continue to see this. And I disagree with you, Cuba. I think that we're going to see this for a few more years because Europeans are 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 used to paying um, a huge premium for cigars. And if manufacturers' attitude is, well, if I can't sell it in the U.S., oh well, I'll sell it in Europe. Uh, that's going to continue to have these cigars made, but they better be good. That's all I got to say. You, you know, it's a, I have the coupe list is being formulated. I have some high priced cigars on that this year. I'll tell you that it's probably one of the highest averages I have. Some of these cigars that have been really ultra premium and really delivered this year for me. Um, I'll actually say the quality of most of those high-priced cigars, I've been pretty impressed with. 
Um, if I could afford more, I'd buy more. Is what I'll just say on some of those. Um, you know, I I think for the Aaron Nielsen's of the world, though, it's it's going to be the candy store. No, but there Aaron has still... Nielsen hasn't bought a box of these one of these yet. No, uh, no, he's... but what I mean is that when you have a cigar like Papa Saka, that's sixteen dollars, or you can still get really good Opus X for less than twenty dollars. You can still get great Padron nineteen sixty four for under twenty five dollars. I think those types of cigars and people like Aaron, they're going to be happy with that. I mean, and I don't think a lot of people are going to move to that $100 price point because there are still some great cigars out there in that $15 to $30 range. And you have to really bedazzle you somebody to get them over to 100 bucks for a yep. cigar. So yep. I think it's going to be a heyday for guys like Aaron who aren't afraid to pay $15 for a cigar if it's really good. 100%. Let me let me go to the, uh, the the question, Jay, that you kind of posed, but you kind of answered it a little. And that is when we're talking about the cigar market pricing and you know commercially, have we peaked yet? Have we peaked? Have we reached the peak? I'm gonna say, unless anyone disagrees with me, I think everyone's saying no, we haven't peaked yet. Does anyone think we've peaked yet? When you say peak, are you talking about peak in demand or peak of of the high price cigars? Sorry, I didn't understand the question. Oh, this is in demand. We're going back to the demand here. Demand of the oh, of yeah. the high price cigars. Demand of demand just in the market. We the market peaked. We're on a we're on the downhill side already. You, so you think we've already peaked? Yeah. Yeah, I think Loomis is right. I think we've definitely peaked. Um, but okay, so I my, I read even, that wrong. What you Jay? I thought you said we had pe- we haven't peaked yet. No, I mean, for example, I mean, I don't know what we sold last year. Was it 483 or 485 okay. million units? Uh, yeah, we, we've peaked, but even if it's 450 million units compared to what we had in 2018 and 2019, that's huge. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're off the peak. But it's like if the Dow goes in, from 1982 to 1999, the Dow went from 1,000 to like, I don't know, 12,000. If the Dow goes to 10,000, yeah, it's gone down, but it's still a huge growth. So I think that we are off the peak and we are going down, but it's not going to crash back down to the 350s and 370 uh, mark that we saw in, in 19 and 18. Yeah, so that that was my that, that was my analogy with the COVID. That, that was my COVID analogy the COVID piece. Like, so when we had the cigar boom back in the 90s, it was peak and then it was like a, a, a you know uh, what do you want to call it? crash like the market crash. I think from the COVID, it's going to go up and it's going to come back down. But the base, let's call it baseline. I think the baseline is higher than the baseline was back going into the last kind of boom, right? So I think from a volume standpoint, we've peaked and we're on the way down. But the baseline of of that number, if you will, is higher than it's it's been going to probably has been maybe ever. So I think if I said though, so yeah, we, you guys are saying we've peaked, but in terms of the higher price cigars, we, we haven't peaked yet. Is that a fair? Is anyone? Is that a fair assumption? I would. Agree. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think those will just continue on. It, we they don't we don't have to be at the height of the boom, secondary boom, whatever you want to call it, for those to be popular. So I think that that'll. I believe that'll just continue all the for, for from here on out. But um, but as far as I agree with what the other guys just said here a second ago, I think the the demand just in general is is definitely we've we've hit that 
that peak and there'll be another there'll be another peak at some point but it'll probably be down for a little while yep yep uh, you know, you know what go, ahead. go ahead i'm sorry no real quick what, what i've noticed and what i i again being on the road traveling and, and just being out what I, i've noticed is i see a definite uptick in people whether i see them on the streets or wherever the case may be the the we'll call casual smoker, or maybe they're not even casual, maybe they smoke. I see more people smoking on what I'll call off hours, meaning during the day, out and about, wherever the case may be, than I ever have before. It was a rarity when I would be traveling 10 years ago where somebody else would be out smoking with me. I see it way more frequently now than I ever have. It, it reminds me of about 10 or 11 years ago this was. I saw that, Aaron. I'm just remembering about if I go back ten or eleven years ago, I've seen remember seeing more of that. All right. Um. Hey, let's switch gears here. Unless anyone else has anything else to say on pricing and supply versus demand. Um. I'm gonna go to something a little lighter. Um. We're gonna we're gonna go and and this is not so much of an industry topic. Maybe this is more of a personal best practice. But I think we all have different perspectives on this and um. I want to talk about uh, accessories, and a lot of people they'll ask. I'm sure that you, we've all been asked, "Hey, uh, what accessories do you use? Um, what do we avoid? Uh, how much is too much to spend, etc." Right? Um, but let me just kind of we'll start it off with maybe some of our accessories that we've gotten great use of o over the years. Um, and I'm gonna go. We'll go to each person. Uh, let's let's go first with storage of cigars. We'll we'll keep this the storage of cigars to start with. Um, Aaron Nielsen, you have you have the biggest box collection I know. Oh, I right? don't know. How There's do you no store way. the? What do you do to store your cigars? What do you use uh, for storage and humidification? Oh, I've, I've got, never asked right. you this. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a, a big stand up. Um, well, it says it holds two thousand. Um, I don't think, I mean, it depends if you take them all the boxes, they will. So I have that for, you know, uh, my Padrones, Davidoffs, just the, what I'll call like more showier stuff. <clears throat> and, and for me, it's, it's more so because I, I'll get to where I'm, cause my other stuff I've got, and I've told this to people that are just starting off cigars. <clears throat> I've got, I've got five, what I'll call, um, they're like, it's like a vacuum seal type Tupperware where it's water, you know, you use for food, but I use it for cigars and I use it a lot for when I travel. It holds about 25-ish. So when I travel, um, <clears throat> it's great. And number two is I know it works well because I'll have a, a Boveda pack in there and it'll last me eight months. I mean, it'll literally never um, kind of dehydrate. Now, <clears throat> for the rest of the stuff, I've got eight um big what i'll call rubbermaid bins and inside i've got them all organized by brand and i use ziploc bags with a boba to pack in them and what i've told people that are just starting out and they're like well should i get a desktop humidor and this and i'm like no listen get just get a ziploc bag get a couple boba to packs and put it in there and zip and i'll tell you that works just as well if not way less maintenance than my stand-up so I mean, I've got a hodgepodge of stuff because, I mean, it's impossible to put. I would have to get seven humidors probably stand up to get all my stuff in there. But I, for me, the 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 Ziploc on top of the Tupperware works better probably than my my large stand up. But 
just depends. I got to organize. I kind of know where everything is, but that's what I kind of a spray to all fields in terms of how I, um, how I store everything. Nice. Nice. Now, Eric, I've seen a little bit of your setup. Let's kind of keep it to, like, let's keep the dojo setup out of this, right? Your personal setup, what we're talking about here. Like, yeah, how do you so manage the personal setup here? Personally, I I use a bit of a hodgepodge too, but mainly it's Coolidors. Yep. I have, I don't know, like six or so really large, like 125 quart um, coolers that I bought specifically, you know, brand new to store cigars. And um, I use uh, beads in those um, to as oh, a humidification yeah. device. And it works great. Like you just spray the beads every couple of months with some distilled water and you're good to go. Um, because we have, I have so much, the, the cooler doors are great because you can really just set them and forget them for, for pretty much forever. Um, and they're in my basement. So they're, they're a good temperature down there. Yep. Even in the summer, it doesn't, it never gets warm or anything like that. And then I have a, a desktop and I did recently buy a, um, like a, a little acrylic, um, desktop humidor and i bought that specifically for like i put the cigars in there that i plan to smoke pretty soon and i don't dry box them per se like some people do but i take the the cellos off and i put all the cigars in there that i i feel like you know in the next week or two i i want to smoke those so they'll be top of mind because you know what happens i know all the guys on this show probably do the same thing you you buy stuff that you want to smoke and you put it in like your coolador or some sort of storage and then it's like eight months later, you're like, ah, oh, man, I spaced out. I spaced out that I even had that cigar, you know? And so I, I like to have that little acrylic one on my desk right by my computer so that I can uh, sort of line up my next couple weeks or so of uh, of smoking. Yeah. Uh, I kind of do a similar thing with my, with my review humidor. It's very similar to that. That's what I kind of do with the review humidor. Yeah, our review humidors are here in the studio, and those are all like uh, either New Air or Rushing and we choose those ones because they heat and cool. And so out here in the, in the studio, it gets, um, sometimes it gets hot. Sometimes it gets cold. Those are great. It just maintains right in the middle. And I love those units. Yeah. Yeah. I use the Ordu for that. All right, Jay. So again, we're going to talk about your personal human. Organ. I know you have plenty of space in your store, um, for your, you know, for your inventory. So, so let's go. Cause I know Jay, you have a pretty decent personal collection. Yeah, I, I have a Raiching or Raiching, as uh, as uh, Eric says, and that works fantastic. Um, but most of the customers that I deal with, you know, people who have collections that make Aaron seem small, you know, hundreds of boxes, most of them do what these guys are talking about. They have the the Yeti coolers or cooladors, and they typically will store things in there with uh, large bovidas, and then uh, then they have a sort of a desktop or maybe they have a new air that's that that's what they're going to smoke for the next two or three months or what have you. And that seems to be the, the most efficient way to do it. I know a few people that have, uh, you know, things built in like my friend, Jason Johnson has got like a whole, you know, like little small closet in his house. And uh, those are a really nice way to go, but it just doesn't make sense to have 10 or 15 stand up humidors, um, and I think that generally the coolers work. Um, you know, my only thing is that I, one thing I've noticed is you got to be careful of the company you're buying cigars from. Some companies use uh, what I call a synthetic cellophane that's got plastic in it, and the cigars don't breathe very well. 
And then there's other companies that use pure cellophane and you can just leave the boxes in the cellophane. So you have to be kind of careful if you want yeah, to keep the cold boxes too. in the Coolador. You know, because like I just opened up a box the other day and it did the cigars didn't taste right. And I've had them for two years. And then I took off the, the cellophane and I could tell that it was, wasn't the right kind of cellophane. And then after a couple of days, they were fine. And a very simple way to do that is if you just burn the cellophane, if it smells like paper, then it's pure cellophane. If it smells like plastic, then it's not. Um, but the Coolidors, I think, is definitely the way to go. You know, like you said, I keep a lot of my things at the store. I mean, a, there's nothing like a walking humidor because you get that airflow. Airflow is very important. But if you're going to do a stand-up unit, the, those Rachines or Rachines, however you pronounce it, Eric, yep. those are phenomenal. Um, they take like two or three months to get here from China. And those are really good at keeping uh, the humidity in a tight band. And it makes a difference. I mean, for example, the cigar I'm smoking, the Tatawahe Regios, if I keep that cigar at 70, it's a chore to smoke that. But if I put it into a humidor where it's 65 or 66, then it draws like a dream. It burns right. It makes a huge difference. So uh, depending upon the types of cigars you're storing, whether they have Cameroon or Connecticut Shade or Nicaraguan or Cuban, it makes a huge difference at the the RH level. But the long-winded answer is, you know, what Aaron and Eric said is is the way to do it, the Coolidors, and then you kind of rotate up to a, a desktop when it's time to start smoking them. Nice, nice. Loomis, how about you? I know you you have, you probably more focused on the review end, but do you have anything personal that you do with that? Yeah, um, I've gone to coolers as, as well. Um, I at one point I had two wine doors and a a, volo, and a big volo cabinet, and um, they're kind of cool. Like when you're you know you start out and you have a desktop humidor, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go up, to, I'm gonna move up to this wine door, or I'm gonna get this cabinet, and you know I'll be big time and all that stuff. And it's it's fine, but it's just it's not. It just it's more of a chore, I think, after a little while trying to keep those things um yeah. going along so i've just gone to coolers bovidas um you know some smaller tupperware for you know things where i want to keep focused stuff on you know focused on of you know where it's at and things like that and uh for overflow of stuff that maybe i'm never going to smoke or you know i plan to give away at some point it'll just be ziplocs with bovidas um you know just keep it really simple it that that works it's cheap um just say no to wood that's what i'd say just it's not yeah there's no point that those those days have passed us by. I have a couple of upright humidors. I agree. I have the cool doors. But if you come to my house and you come into the parlor, okay, <laughs> uh, there is a desktop humidor for guests, and I keep guest cigars in there. Probably you guys wouldn't want most of those cigars in there, though. It's because it's kind of you know more basic stuff. Um, but I do have it. But I, but say no to the desktop humidor. I I hate saying that. If you're gonna get into cigars and you're gonna keep a lot of cigars. Those desktop humidors, all they're going to do is multiply and take room up. I'm just telling you. And you're still going to have overflow. Yeah. They just don't seal. They just don't seal. I mean, I mean, I don't have expensive ones. I mean, I've got a couple desktop ones. I have like my bookshelf and I just kind of throw stuff in there uh -huh. that I, I'm going to get to or whatever. But it's like I, I go back and pick in two weeks and all of a sudden my, my Boba packs are dehydrated. It's like, oh, I, I got. Yeah. And I got one from a nice man, a beautiful one from a manufacturer. And it does not seal. So it's now a storage bin. I mean, it's just that's what it's I don't want to get rid of it because it's a nice humidor. But like, yeah, it doesn't seal. Like the, When a boba pack dries out in two weeks, there's a problem with the seal. It, it really is. Uh, so, like I said, I usually stay away from from those desktop humidors. 
Uh, and I use the hydras for my big humidors. The hydra units work great now. All right, Aaron, I'm going to come back to Aaron Loomis. I'm going to come back to you. Let's let's go to lighters. I got a lot of beverages. What kind of lighters do you use, Aaron? I'm kind of curious. I fucking hate lighters. <laughs> um, they're, they're, so many of them are made poorly and they, you know, they don't last for a long time and stuff like that. So it's just a pain in the butt. Um, I'm kind of rotating through lighters uh, frequently just to kind of keep things running and stuff like that. But um, I like, I prefer torches, single flame or double flame. Double flame is about as far as I'll go. Um, otherwise, um, I think you start burning the crap out of the out of the wrapper and stuff like that when you're lighting it. I don't smoke a lot of large ring gauge stuff, so I don't need the you know a bunch of coverage. But um, I kind of like single flames. Um, got a lot of control with that, and um, kind of do a slow toast and all that stuff. But um, you know, soft flames are cool, but it's just I gave up. I, I, don't I, know. I, after, I gave up. I had a soft times. flame. I, I gave my soft flame away. <laughs> Yeah, I did, yeah, I didn't like um, it. I just got one of those flat flames, one of the Zykar flat flames. I've kind of played around with it a little bit, but um, I, I go back and forth on whether I, I I like it or not. So I don't know, but um, I I will say the, and I've gone away from it just because I've been like playing around with a bunch of other lighters. But um, I don't know if you guys ever use these, but those Ronson jet lights, the single flame torches that you could get at Walmart for like two bucks back in you know five or seven years ago. Those are some of the best lighters because they just always work. So they work. Yeah, I, was I, say I probably need to go back to back to it and they work. Stop, yeah. stop messing around with the other stuff. So mm-hmm. but yeah, single flame torch is a good way to go. Nice. How about let's go to Jay now? Jay, what do you use for your lighters? Well, I mean, nothing beats a match, obviously. I mean, you know, those, I, blue, I like, those blue smoke match. We love those blue smoke matches in our house, by the way, Jay. Those just, are nice, you know, yeah. Yeah, you my, know, my like wife this, grabs them every time, yeah. This Opus X Society one is nice. Uh this quality importers i joke with customers that was a good that, lighter for what they that was one don't, even me, don't even get me started on that lighter because I, I i might still sitting with ben oh my brother <laughs> shipped like eight of these back from the show it's great eh. but i mean i always joke with my customers that the the best thing you can do is buy an st depot line two, just put it on your articles policy and so if it ever gets lost or stolen you're fine because um, one of the problems with these is, I mean, I don't know what this is, like 23, 2400 degrees. You've really got to hold a cigar like this far away. And you're going to, you know, and I use a V cutter too. So honestly, if you use a V cutter and you're torching this, you're really not getting the blend that the manufacturer intended. You should do a straight cutter, fingernail cut, and then a match and toast it like Aaron said. I mean, Aaron's right. He's the the Jedi when it comes to this because a lot of times you just set those oils so hot it just throws off the rest of the cigar and but we're a, we're a convenience society so it's nice to have a torch but honestly just a good old-fashioned dupont's a great way to go or just matches but if you're outside you need something like this so yeah uh, it depends on how often you smoke outside no that's um, good. Uh, this one right here i mean this thing weighs a ton but you know you know, we can make fun of, of these all we want, but we sell a lot of Rocky Patel accessories. And because this V cutter just works. Yeah, they're, really, they're great. I, yeah. I use the, I, I, and they last. They're durable and they last. Yeah. I've had this for two years. And, and it's, and they, they have an exchange policy very similar to the way Zycar used to be, yep. where it's painless. Um, yep. But honestly, um, if you're going to be smoking these $100 cigars or really nice cigars, I always do a, a, just a straight flat cut or the fingernail to remove the yep. cap. Right. And then light it slowly. I mean, if it's an eight dollar cigar, 
you can power through it. But if it's a really nice cigar, I would not, I would not V cut it and I would not use a heavy duty torch because it just, you're not getting the blend that was intended by the manufacturer and you're going to blame the manufacturer because the cigar went accurate in the last third. It's probably user error. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, but that's just, that's just my opinion. We saw a lot of lighters were close to an airport. So um, sometimes those $15 lighters, they do the trick. Yep. Oh, I agree. All right, Eric, what do you use for your light? I don't think I've ever asked you this one either. So, well, I'm kind of a cheap bastard. So, uh, I use, um, I used to see, you know, what's crazy is every time I get an expensive lighter, it never works for very long. So I think I've had this Jetline lighter for probably seven years. It's just never failed. I also like, um, I also like these Paleos. Um, Good we price. did a series of Dojo yeah. Paleo ones not too long ago. And I mean, they just work, you know, plus we battle uh high altitude here. And so we have to, if we don't put in like the Zycar, um, the, you know the black can of, of which I'm having trouble finding those cans. Lately. Yeah, yeah, there, there. It's I think I think uh, Quality Imports just got some in recently, oh, but what? um, yeah, they're hard. It's kind of hard to find sometimes. But that that high altitude butane, we really in Colorado, we really have to use that. But I don't, I, I don't typically get fancy lighters. Okay, Nielsen, what about you? What do you use for lighters when Ben doesn't give you a palio? No, I mean, uh, when he when he hoards it from the. But I'm gonna I'm when I go to Asheville, I will get it and personally mail it. Okay, so... thank you. Okay, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so I'll I'll kind of go off of what uh, what Eric said. I've got um, I don't have a Prometheus, and I don't know if that's what you had, uh, Jay, but I, I I've got you know I've got some of the. The, the st duponts and i've got some of the higher higher end lighters half the time i don't know they don't last or or i get you know the i just don't have much success so long story short is you know it's the the standard coupe lighter this the 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 big jet the, the jet the big tank but i go like this this vertigo so i play um a lot of golf and i this cheapo seven buck eight dollar the damn thing the tank lasts forever yep. it lights every freaking time if i lose it i don't care so for me, I go the cheap route for most of the time because it just works. Now, if I go to the lounge and I'm going to, you know, take my time, I'll do the single torch and whatever. But nine out of 10 times, I go the triple torch, this cheapo vertical. It lights every freaking time. It lasts forever. And again, if I lose it on the golf course or I, you know, I misplace one, whatever, don't care because it's eight bucks or 10 bucks or whatever the case may be. So I go the cheaper route too, just because I know if I lose an expensive one, I'm going to be really pissed. So, yep. All right. Um. So let's like. I so I I think me. I have too many lighters. Um. I have I have two Duponts. I have that Rocky Patel one I just saw. Um. The Duponts never leave the house. Um. Then you know you see me with a lot of these uh plastic ones. Um. I think you've heard me say this on the show. These these I used to collect these because they were great getting through the airports for years, but now there's new scanners and the new scanners are are detecting these. And our friend Bear, remember Bear was telling us like I can't get these lighters through, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I get them through all the time, and, and apparently the airports he was going through are now uh, we're now really cracking down on these. So these are good lighters. I find they last forever as long as you don't drop them. If you drop it, you're done. It cracks and it just never works the same. So don't you just can't drop these, but uh, but they work for that. 
All right. Let's go to cutters. Um, Jay, I know you already talked about your cutters. Is there anything else you wanted to mention as far as cutters go? I know you were mentioning. Um, I th- I think it's worth the money to spend um, a little bit more for a a good guillotine. Um, I know JC Newman's got one for like $30. Prometheus has got one for 40 I have an old Cohiba one that I got years ago from them for like, I don't know, $20 at an event. And those, it's worth getting the surgical steel and, and it, they cut really nicely. There's nothing worse than uh, one that gets dull and tears up your cigar. Yeah, you have to, uh, yeah. I, 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 sometimes you have to know when to fold it with that, yep. Um. Let's go back to Aaron Nielsen now. Uh, what do you what do you do for cutters? Um, sidecar teardrop. I've got probably a dozen of these in different colors and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just my go to, right? Um, I typically cut my cigars straight, um, but if I do go V, I've got I've had the same Calibri V cut. I mean, it's heavy duty. I love the, the depth it cuts. So, you know, depending on whether it's a box press or depending on the shape of the cigar, um, I'll go V, but and this Calibri one for me uh, has been my favorite. So typically straight, uh, spend a little money on the cutter, but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen different cutters out there. I mean, my lounge carries some, they're like 250, $300 cutters. I mean, you know, you can definitely go high end, but this, these two drop ones from Zycar, these kind of the, the self-sharpening ones for 35, 40 bucks for me, um, tried and true, right? Nice. Uh good. Um Eric, cutters. Yeah, I mean I I we have a bunch of sidecar ones, the teardrop ones also that I like. But you know what's crazy is I got hooked on these um paleo cutters. Um this thing is so sharp and it, it always cuts so nicely that anytime I travel, I throw this in my bag, one or two of these in my bag. It- it's because a single it's guillotine small. that cuts like a double. Yeah. Yeah. It's small. Yeah. It's yeah. light. It's easy to have in your pocket. You know, it doesn't, yep. it doesn't uh, weigh your pocket yep. down or anything. I really love this little cutter, man. I'm hooked on it. I've been using it for like, well, this style for like two or three years. So, um, and it, I, I'm a straight cut guy. So I tip, I don't ever punch or V cut or anything. I just always, always straight cut. All right, Loomis, what about you? Cutters. Uh aside from the lighter issue I have, um, I have an opposite uh experience with cutters. And um I used the original Palio uh double blade. Um and I've kind of used that for about 10 years and I love it. Um it just cuts perfectly. Um, no issues with it whatsoever. The blade stays sharp. Um, I will say, though, that since the trade show, I've been using the sock cutter exclusively um, just to kind of get a feel for it and and test it out and see how it works. Um, I, I do like it. Um, I don't like single blades, though, and that's what it is. Um, I think it's starting to the blade's starting to dull a little bit. Um, so that's a bit of a shame on that. Um, and it's expensive. Um, well, when, when it goes on sale, I'm sure it will be expensive. So um, but. But for me, yeah, I, need, I want two blades, but it, it doesn't need to be expensive. That Palio, I think I, I think it was nineteen dollars or something like that when I bought it originally. Um, I think it works great. Um, the control of the control of having kind of the two pieces that slide together is just 
functions better than the Zycar ones that have two blades that they the blades move independent of each other kind of a thing. Um, you know, I, I wanted to like the XO because it was worked together, but it's just too bulky. So, um, yeah, that 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 original Palio just per, it, it's the perfect perfect cutter. I can't imagine something better than that. Nice. Uh, the, the only problem with the Palio Coop is how do you cut your sixty and seventy and eighty ring gauge cigars because they don't go very big. Well, you have to if you're a big ring gauge enthusiast, and I will be smoking a couple big ring gauges coming up. You have to have the eighty ring gauge. Uh, this uh, this is a Monte Cristo one. It's really nice that uh, I use it. I just use it exclusively on those big cigars. Um, so doesn't Paleo? You, I think Paleo makes uh, a version. They do make of a this. big, a large. They did, yeah, one. they came yeah. out with it. And Zycar, the teardrop now has an eighty, so there is a teardrop oh. with the eighty. Yeah. Um. Look, I think the teardrop cutter is amazing. Okay, I I I use them. The the thing is, you have to keep these blades clean. Um. You, you just if you don't keep the blades clean, they stick. And uh, the oils will, will it will hurt the springs, and you know eventually it just won't cut well. So you just have to maintain these things, uh, keep them clean, is what I tell everybody. The Paleos uh, are excellent cutters as well. The the thing I don't have here, it's in my locker at my cigar lounge, is and I I love it is the Zycar scissors. Uh, to, I love that Zycar scissor cutter. Um, a great great cutter, and uh, it's the one. You know, I think Zycar. I think Zycar makes the best one out there. So, I would definitely advise uh, on on that one. Um, by the way, uh, Aaron Nielsen. Just so you know, we did not get Saka cutters. I think he was out of them at that point. We went very late to the booth. So, so you get when you schedule the interview for the last day into the last day. Exactly right. I think you know what Aaron, we did not. We did not get them. So I just want you to know I, we didn't hold I those back on you. Probably five or six laying around the coop. Chateau. No, I don't. I, I don't have it at all. Um, I've not even tried it. Okay, what so I can't. Even... What, did he, what did you? What did he call you guys? He called like the study or what? With the when he the the the, the parlor. Room, the parlor. The parlor. Oh, yeah, 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 the parlor. Yeah, the parlor's probably got about six or seven of those. I, I don't. I, I have never even tried it. So uh, I didn't even know media. He was giving them out to media until. Uh, basically, uh, everyone started having them, and then Ben's like, "Well, how come they all got cutters? We didn't get them." So yeah, we were we were told not to say anything to you because, I, I, you know, we were in the same house as you the entire time, and you didn't even know they were in our possession. So, I didn't even know. Like, I didn't, and I didn't. I'm yeah. going to be completely honest with you. I yeah. didn't. Yeah. So, uh, so no, we, uh, so we, well, but we will be asking for them this year. I can tell you that. So, <laughs> so Steve, bring you. <laughs> if we move Steve up to the first interview of the week. Oh, they're yeah. gonna come in tomorrow. That's that's exactly. the excuse. It the day late shipping. All right, all right. So that was uh, that that segment. We're moving along. So um, you make guys may get out of here by three a.m. Though, okay. All right, couple of uh short short um uh, fun segments not related to cigars. First one is gonna be our FSG beef segment. Uh, but it's not a beef question tonight. Uh, Florida sun grown beef question, but but it is Thanksgiving. Okay. So I thought I'd put something in with Thanksgiving, right? And the question I have for everyone tonight is, if you can't have turkey on Thanksgiving, whether you you can't get access to turkey or you hate turkey, um, I know some people really do hate turkey, I want to know what meat are you substituting for turkey? Um, and we will start this one off. Aaron, Aaron Nielsen, we'll go to you first. Um, so traditionally, so we eat a lot, I mean, like 
having kids that would try to eat healthier. So we eat a lot of turkey during the year, but like deli meat turkey, we don't fucking roast a turkey any any soon. But uh, so a couple of years in a row, we did. Uh, my dad makes wings, chicken wings, right? So he's got a, a method where we, we fry, you fry them, and then you fry them, and then you soak them, and then you bake them. And uh, so we were doing um, wings instead of turkey. Um, so uh, it, it we ended up liking a lot better. I mean, at the end of the day, like it, it, just to mix it up, and like for for Christmas we do lasagna. My, my wife's family's Italian, right? So we do lasagna, so we don't do like traditional ham or whatever you do during Christmas. Um, so we did we do chicken wings um, as a substitute for turkey. Good, I like it. I like it. There's no wrong answers with this. All right, Eric. I'm curious because I know there's a big Gatormson clan, you know, that you got there, but, you know, you may have turkey. Is there an alternate meat that you may go with besides a, a turkey? Well, I, uh, my mom is, uh, was 100% Italian. So obviously there's only one right answer here, and that's lasagna. Lasagna. If okay. you can't do turkey, you should do lasagna, but we normally do turkey. Um, but my sister makes my mom's recipes. Still occasionally, and uh, I love lasagna on Thanksgiving. It's a perfect, perfect combination. Nice, nice. All right, Jay Davis, how about you? You go to uh, you know, Wiener Schnitzel or something like that, or you know, In and Out. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we we generally rotate between like turkey or turducken or steaks. Uh, this year we're we're going all out. We're going to do beef Wellington. Um, and then yes. we'll probably do a turkey or or ham for Christmas. But beef Wellington is something we've been wanting to do for a while. So uh, that's I haven't told my my kids that yet. So hopefully they're probably not watching this. So that'll be fun. All right. So I'm gonna before we go to Loomis, I'm gonna kind of go in here. Beef Wellington is my answer here, um, and it's the reason why we go to my daughter's house now for Thanksgiving every year. So there is a turkey, but there also is a beef Wellington, and that's why I have to put up with my son-in-law's TV every year for football. Okay. Uh, because the beef Wellington my daughter makes is, is off the charts. So, uh, you know, we're absolutely uh, beef Wellington's the one for me. How about you, Loomis? You you hate everything. Uh, I've never had a Thanksgiving without turkey. So this is a kind of an interesting question. Um, I guess I might go ham. I don't know. That'd be OK. Um, I don't I mean, I don't eat ham that much other than like Easter, I don't think. So um, I don't eat it during the year most of the time. So I guess I guess ham would be an okay alternative. It's good. We've uh when, my wife has done ham on Thanksgivings a few times with the turkey when we've had it here. Yeah. Uh it is very it is solid. Uh um and she usually gets a really good quality ham. So I mean right. the key thing is you want to get a really good quality ham that uh that's that's always the key with that. Yeah. But it's a it's a low maintenance meat to make as well. It's because it's sure. it, so it is it is good. She yeah. puts it in the slow cooker. It actually comes out great with that. Uh, all right. So that was that was our FSG beef segment. Um, so let's get into our next segment. This is the Ties That Bind segment, sponsored by Tobacco RSA. Makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco RSA, great things are happening here. So if you aren't familiar with this segment, some of you guys may be, some of you guys may not be. I don't know, Eric, if you're familiar with this segment. I don't think we've done this one with you. Um, this is a segment where I am going to name three things. And the name Ties That Bind was actually inspired by a Bruce Springsteen song, uh, The Ties That Bind. 
Um, but it's the idea you got to tell me what all three of these things have in common. It's not a music question. It's the ties that bind them all together. So I'm going to name three things and, and basically I'm going to go who first can get this right. Okay. Now I will say this, I'm naming three States. So the answer is a little deeper. The answer may not be States on this is what I'll just say. Maybe it could be States. It could be something else, but, but I'm going to name three States. So Eric, in honor of you being on the show, Colorado is one of those states. Excellent. Missouri is the second state. And Mississippi is the third state. What do all those have in common? They're all rivers. Damn it. You got it too easy. (laughs) That's correct. They're all rivers. Big ones, too. Big ones. Big ones. Yeah, they were big rivers. That's too easy. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's funny. You know, I threw I threw the question for a few people. Like sometimes I'll throw the question to people in my house, and the answer I got I didn't get rivers from anybody in my house, so I thought it was a little tough. Someone said, um, someone said, um, like one one of my kids said, uh, all not original thirteen colonies. You know, I was getting stuff like that. Uh, I got crappy uh, college football teams. <laughs> didn't get that one. I got I got Central Time Zone, but but I said Colorado's not right with that one. It's Mountain, so. I got that one. Um, so uh, yeah, I got I got, uh, but no one got rivers in my house. So you got you got it right away. So it was uh, uh, they're, they're also yes. all all Italian names since they end in a vowel. So oh, Aaron, yeah. there you go, Aaron. I like that answer better. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, the other one I got in the house with Middle America states stuff like that. You know, with it, they don't have oceans stuff like. I was getting all that stuff. So no one got the river part because I think. I think Colorado and Missouri, like Mississippi, is everyone does associate with the river there. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into our next couple of segments, but I'm going to just do a, uh, our um, uh, sponsor breaks so if you need to stretch for a minute, but we'll get through this pretty quick. Uh, let me first mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars in Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it was one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamas Surviving Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, who and his son Husso brought their very own brand to market, and each contained the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Sumatra. They each represent that golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, legacy that is tasted in every draw. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take pride in the fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition scars available exclusively to Corona Scar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Padron, Drew Estate, and Agonorsa Leaf. They have the best selection, best customer service, and money-saving discount prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Scar Company as best of the web. Corona Scar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Spoke Magazine. Cigar Aficionado wrote Corona Scar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. Place or online at their website or visit one of Corona's five central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. So we're going to go into our Alec Bradley segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. 
Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live true. I have been told by Alec Bradley we're getting new commercials, just so folks know. I convinced about these for a while. So I mean, that, are, that one's so great. I don't know why you need it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to see if we can keep that. But some of the other ones are not, you know, and as the company sold, it's a little different to use some of them. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So we had we had a rotation, of, but we will be getting we will be getting some more commercials from the folks at Alec Bradley. All right. So this uh, tonight uh, is one question. It's this live true segments where we get into something that uh, is not cigar related. Sometimes I do rapid fire questions, but uh, I'm going to keep it to a single topic tonight. And I want to know when you guys were growing up, what was your favorite toy to play with? Okay. Uh, growing up, what was it? Was there a toy? And I'd say keep the video game piece out of it. I think that's a separate kind of category. But was there a toy that you just like loved to play with as a kid? So Jay Davis, I want to know what did Jay da- what did little Jay Davis play as a little tight there? Um, I probably played with Legos the most. Okay. And uh, it wasn't like today where you could only build one thing. So it was a good way to express your individuality, whatever you want to build that week or whatever. Uh, and then little little Mattel race cars were were big too. Oh. And train sets. Yep. Um. I could never figure out the erector sets. I always cut my fingers, and it was just too complicated for me. But I would say Legos. Okay. All right, Aaron Nielsen, what toy did you play with? Grow? What toys yeah, did you play with? Legos, Legos are good. We grew up uh, poor, so I was going to say like a stick and a rock, but I think we we were able to afford uh, Legos at some point. So Legos is a good one. I, I think as we got a little older, um, G.I. Joe, but not like the, the doll, but like the, the more... I don't know what you call it. That. Like the the smaller, like the, they were the like Star Wars figures. figures. They were like the Star, Star Wars, Wars figures. figures. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so we, my brother and I, used to like we had all the GI Joes, and then they would come with like um, uh, how do you put it? Like um, you could set scenes, right? Like so you had like uh, sandbags, and you had like the infirmary tents, and so you could like set up a whole little fort with the GI Joe guys, and then like you you we put them in the circle. You get to take turns picking which GI Joe guy you want, and then you just kind of set it up and did that kind of stuff. So, Legos and that were kind of my my two, I guess, childhood memories of, of playing I, the video games. I wish my kids didn't have video games. Yeah, nice. All right, we'll go to Erica Thompson. What did little Eric play with as a kid? Um, I got two. Two were my favorite. Now I can't believe that. You just called it a G.I. Joe a doll. It's an action figure. But I they had with... dolls. They had the dolls before then. That's why I think you said that. No, yeah, it, it was always an action it figure. Was, but it was Come a big on. action figure. A big action yeah, figure. Yeah, right, right. That's the kind I had was the uh, what the 12-inch or whatever they were. Um, those things, that was, I could spend literally days, hours in the basement just playing with those constantly. And the other one was the original Hot Wheels, the 1967 through... Uh, 1971. Usually, there you can tell them because they have a red line on the uh, on the yep. wheel. Spectre Flame paint. They were amazing. I had all kinds of those. And then later in life, like I don't know, 20 years ago or so, I got into collecting and selling those again. And um, some of them were worth you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars that I that I had. But as a kid, I loved Hot Wheels and I loved. GI Joes, and they were the two best toys known to mankind. 
when when G.I.O. got the Kung Fu grip, do you remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. That was like a big deal when when the Kung Fu yeah. grip was implemented. I was yeah. like, you had to get that's when you could do like the move the hand and you could do. Yeah, that was uh, a now big... that that's about the same time. He also got the fuzzy hair. You know, it wasn't yeah. painted on. It yeah. was like actually kind of fuzzy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And he had the, he had the red hair, the blonde hair and the dark yeah. hair. Yeah, I remember that. Me and my me and my brother had two full size. Now remember the GI Joe itself was like this big, right? He's like this big. Yeah, pretty big, twelve inch or whatever. Like I said, we had two full size Indy cars that they fit in, and man, I'm telling you what, I had the helicopter. I had the helicopter. Helicopter, yeah, the giant helicopter. It was a good huge, yeah, yeah. All right, Aaron Loomis, what toys did you play with as a kid? Did you play with? Uh, It was definitely Hot Wheels and Matchbox. Um, where, wherever I was, I had some with me. Um, I had built this, this, I built a racetrack and like a whole city in my front yard, uh, in the dirt. Um, and then like at each of my grandparents' house, like one grandparent had this cool, like oval rug that had like different, uh, colors as it went into the center. So like I, it was a, automatic racetrack like right perfectly i know set exactly up. what you're talking about exactly and then like uh my other grandparents house they had like uh this pretty cool like cabinet uh in uh the kitchen that kind of like overhung the floor a little bit so like you could have like this like kind of like garage parking like so i had wherever i was i came up with these crazy things for the for these cars and like that that was it like i had other things that would pop in here and there but the cars were the thing my answer is the cars as well. So when you're the son of John Cooper, who was an absolute car freak, he not only got me Matchbox cars, he would buy Matchbox cars for himself. Okay. And the Matchbox cars for himself were like, he realized early on that I was like scratching up some of these Matchbox cars, playing with them. And he didn't want to be that guy to like say, you can't do that. So he just bought them and collected them himself. And actually one of my sons has that collection still. Um, So yeah, I had that. I had the Tyco racetrack. Uh, I had the hot, I had all the Hot Wheels types of things, the tracks as well. Um, but I had a lot of Matchbox cars and Hot Wheels, and um, uh, I had a couple of planes mixed in there. So yeah, it was in my house. It was very, it was like I said, when you had a dad who was playing with the Matchbox cars, it was pretty cool. Like you know, yeah, it, was a, yeah. it was a lot of fun. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but he ended up like yeah, he just like he would just keep them, and he he had those like they actually used to come in boxes. Before they came in the, the cardboard with the with the plastic with the lucite plastic or the plastic, yeah. but they actually years ago we would come in those, and then you get the storage garages and they had the storage and then they had collectible storage units he ended up getting. But but yeah, he had that Matchbox car collection well into his seventies. I could just tell you that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, one of my sons has that right now. All right. Good job, guys. Uh, good job, everyone. Uh, everyone was playing with that. All right, so let's kind of get into our next segment. This is our Espinosa This Day in Sports History, brought to you by Espinosa Cigars, makers of award-winning brands such mm. as Espinosa 601 and Knuckle Sandwich, Smoke Espinosa, and Smoke Espinosa every day. So I got one question. I don't think anyone's going to get the second question that I have here, but I'll, I'll try with the second question, but I'll, I'll give it away. Um, The first one is... On this day, November 16th, 
This Mets pitching great was born in 1964. So on this day in 1964, this Mets pitching great was born. Does anyone know who that Mets pitching great is? Was it Gooden? It was Gooden. It was Dwight Gooden. So, yes. So, in honor of Hector, uh, yeah, and today is also uh, my son Peter's birthday, who was born the same, unfortunately, had was born the same day as Dwight Gooden. So, <laughs> I, have, I have my daughter born on Jordan's birthday, Michael Jordan's birthday. My oldest son was born on um, Larry Bird's birthday. My youngest son, Stephen, was born on uh, Mickey Mantle's birthday. And my son, Peter, unfortunately, drew Dwight Gooden. (laughs) (laughs) One has to go, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, second question, and I'll throw it out there. Let's see if anyone can get this. Um, And this NBA Hall of Famer, so this is not a baseball question, Aaron. This NBA Hall of Famer set a record of 49 rebounds in a game on November 16th, 1957. Does anyone want to take a shot at who that NBA Hall of Famer is with 49 rebounds in a game? I'm just going to guess Mike and I have no idea. It was not Mike and. Good answer, but not Mike and. Uh, NBA Hall of Anyone in the. So I'm looking in the audience here. Um, it is not Doc. It is not Wilt. It is not Wilt Chamberlain. That would have been my answer too. I think Wilt was still in high school or college back then. Yeah. It was not Wilt. It, um, but the answer has been given in the comments. It is Bill Russell. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep, Matt, Matt Ty also said Bill Russell. Alan said Bill Russell. So, yeah. So, a couple flew in there with that. But, yeah, it was Bill Russell. So, that was a harder one. What year What year was that? 1957. So, it was very early in his career. Wow. I thought he was still at San Francisco then. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Doc was for the baseball question from Chad. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. So, that was our Espinoza This Day in Sports History. So, I'm going to do one more round of uh, paying the bills. And then we will get into our final segments. Um, and uh, there's one bigger segment and then some rapid fires to kind of close it out, and maybe we'll get you out of here before 4 a.m. So, all right. So, first of all, I want to mention JC Newman Cigar Company, founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. The JC Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family owned premium cigar maker in America. Four generations and 127 years, JC Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. JC Newman is high quartered in an iconic 113 year old cigar factory in the Ebor City National Historic Landmark District in Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman does premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the uh, All-American Cigar, the American, and the Angel Cuesta. The J.C. Newman Pensive Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua, and it's where Brick House, Pillow de Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yago cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by Tobacco Eddie Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income family in the Dominican Republic with education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars from many industry leaders at a Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. 
Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas cigars. You can try the Casa Cuevas line, the Cuevas Reserva line, and the latest release, the Sangre Nueva. And remember, if they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local dealer for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars from our casa to yours. And finally, we can get into our, uh, this is a continuation. We've been deliberating all night, but this is where we normally do our industry talk deliberation segment sponsored by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dunbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the Half-Life Consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mikarita Tricky Traca, and in 2022 with the Mikarita Black Saka Khan. Visit DT Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. So we're going to go to my favorite segment here. My favorite topic to talk about. Um, my favorite co- topic to complain about. Single store releases and event cigars. Okay. Wait, favorite thing to complain about. I thought you were going to go TAA. No, they're not getting any airtime with me. So you give them more airtime than you want to give them. No. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, we're not doing that. No, no. But let me ask a question here. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a few questions here, but I'm just going to ask this one right off the gate. Have single store releases and event cigars jumped the shark? Are they are they on the decline? I know. So I'm going to start with you, Eric, because you you are you play in this space a lot. What is your and and don't think about this sort of dojo cigars that you par- partner with, but think of it in general. Has this space kind of jumped the shark right now? I don't know. I don't. I don't see how. I don't. I don't really understand. I don't see how it it has jumped the shark or anything. I mean, it's um seems like uh people like it. It's a fun, you know, promotional event. It adds it adds something, you know, usually fun for a certain community or area or or a place uh, to get guys fired up about a brand or about a, a retailer. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't see any negative to it at all. So, all right. Now kind of just phrase this, um, for personal experience. This is why. So this year I, I cut down on single store release stuff on coop by about 75%. And I did that based on the last couple of years where single store release traffic on coop was 0.1%. There was just, it, that's how low it was. So, I see that, and then, look, I see some of the good retailers, they're able to move these, right? But then I see a lot of these single-store releases, they sit on the shelves. Um, And maybe they're not as high-profile, but I see them sitting on the shelves all the time. And I look at my numbers, and I look at some of the stuff on the shelves, and I'm like, something's something's not going with this right now. Something maybe is going, and that's kind of where I was coming from with this. Right, but but I I don't think people do it, um, you know, shops and and folks like us and other retailers they're doing it for their their group of followers and customers and it it, it may not be a new story like yeah, um, yeah. fair know. enough that's a fair comment so that's that's the way I, I mean for us it's just gotten bigger and bigger i mean obviously our uh you know, our Wagashi was the biggest uh, one we've ever done by well, a, a mile. And oh, so I'll give you credit. You, that's our soul one blind face. I mean, so I can give you a lot of credit on that. That's it's Saka, It's you guys. It's Abe. You have three people. Who I think have been very good in this space. So, yeah, I mean, I, that that was amazing. So you see that. And I see that's a good argument again. I, I'll say this probably on Coop. 
the number will be higher than 0.1 this year, even though I cut the coverage down because of Wagashi. Because Wagashi did do some numbers on Coop when it was announced. So that one, I'm going to tell you, is probably going to take it higher than 0.1%. Maybe it will go 0.4, 0.5, which, but I think it's all going to be on the legs of Wagashi uh, this year. But think about this, Coop. They, you know, single store releases and exclusives like this, they represent a, a infinitesimally small sliver of the industry anyway. So it kind of makes sense that they don't, you know, generate yeah. a lot of, you know, you know, uh, eyeballs on, on it, on your site. Like it, that, it's probably about the percentage that they represent or so, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's a fair thing as well. And I think, like I said, I think they like take the smoke in releases and, and some of these other ones, like two guys, they, they do they have a little more of a national focus. So they do get some legs. But a lot of these other it's very localized. So I think that's a fair comment what you're making there. I want to go to Jay Davis because he's a retailer. I want to see what his thoughts are on this one. Well, I think it, I think it depends on the project. Um you know, starting with the, like event cigars, I mean, Tatawai pumpkins are huge. Um, and well, I, I, I remember that when I was down there, Jay, I saw those go. Yeah. People, people were fighting for those. Um, I, I think that I'm not a big fan of discounting at events. And I think that an event cigar gives you something different that you can provide value without deeply discounting, you know, the buy three, get one free, or buy five, get two, whatever. You know, I know that AJ Fernandez had the Miembe for a while. Uh, you know, Steve Saka with the Pulpetta and with the um, the ashtrays. I think that it can be done right. Uh, so, I mean, I think that if if it's done right, an event cigar could be very impactful. As far as single store releases, I mean, Pete Johnson built his brand with that. I think uh, Steve Saka with you know, look at Red Meat Lovers, the Wagashi. I'm not going to lie. I can't sell the Wagashi, but I'm really excited that it's going to be having a national release. Yeah. So I think that sometimes if it, if it's executed correctly, um, I think it can be huge. Um, but a lot of times people don't execute them correctly. Um, I think Abe is really good at it. I mean, Absolute, look at Anarchy. He's turned yeah. that into, uh, you know, the NFT. Um, so I guess it's like anything else. You can screw it up or you can do it right. Um you know, one of the things that uh, my father and Oliva has done, which is interesting, is that you get a you don't get an event cigar, but you get an event sampler. I think that's a genius strategy because someone buys a box of an Oliva or my father they like or whatever, and they get a sampler and they get an opportunity to, to taste the entire portfolio and it can open them up to other cigars. But I think more often than not, uh, event cigars and single store releases are a big fail. But obviously, with like what Abe and Dojo have done, they've done some of the very best ones out there. And I think that there's definitely a place for it in the industry. Okay. Good, good answer. Nielsen, what about you? Uh, do, you do you chase these down? I mean, what's your thoughts on this? So I think I don't look at, at what Eric does or Smoke In or Dave. I, I, yeah, I. I, the concept of it, but it gets more national publicity, right? So I'll give you another example, the Don Derma, right? So I chased that thing down because I yes, saw you did. it. Yes, you I, did. And I sent it to you. I said, I gave you, when I first met you, I gave you yep. one of those. Um, and I chased that one down because it had, somebody had reviewed it. 
I saw some, some, some marketing behind it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go chase that one down. I think it depends on the retailer, right? I think it depends on who's putting it out. It's obviously for their local folks. You can turn it into more than just the single store release. That's for your clientele by way of getting it some attention. And then it, yeah, it's a single store release, but you can get it in the hands of other people. I wouldn't know of a single store release outside the lounge I go to unless somebody reviews it, somebody covers it, yep. gets the publicity like Dojo's getting, then absolutely I'll, I'll go hunt it down. But look, I think it's good. I think it's a, a way to, to like a thank you, if you will, to their your local shop as, as um, you know, I've got a, a lounge here that uh, big Oscar uh, lounge and he does something for them and his patrons love it. Like they sell the shit out of it, but you're not going to get it net. You don't even know about it unless you're, you're local. So I don't think it's jumped the shark in terms of where it works. I think it's super effective, but that's a rare occasion because, you know, I, I don't know in, in terms of the volume that some of these single store releases do, but I could see some of that stuff sitting on the shelves if they don't, you know, either they don't push it or they don't get the attention or people just don't know about it. So I think it's effective. It done the right way, but I think it can go badly too, um, to just depending how it's positioned. Good answer. Yeah, I, I I see your points on that as well. How about you, Loomis? Um, yeah, I think I'd go with the other guys about like how it's how it's done. I mean, for some of these stores, um, or some of the brands, um, I think that they're seeing it on their own that they've kind of gone far enough with it um, as it is. You know, some of those guys have been able to sell out instantly you're now kind of dragging it out a bit i've seen um, a little bit of that too some of the people go along so yeah. i think it just depends on how it's set up um you know um some of the big online retailers are really getting into this exclusives now when you know you saw like um you know jr with the 50th and all that stuff like a lot of different manufacturers yeah. kind of doing these special cigars and things like that so i think they can work out in some instances but in other instances maybe they just don't have enough legs um for the consumers, I don't know that it's all the greatest thing in the world because if you, you know, if you're interested in a brand or something like that and you're trying to track something down from them that they're doing special for this one shop or something like that, it can be a bit of a, a pain to try to, you know, get it in your hands. So, um, yeah, there's, I guess there's pros and cons, cons for them at the same time. Yeah, uh, you know, I think people know as far as what I think of covering them, I, it's something I've gotten away from. But have I bought some of these? I'm not gonna lie, I have I bought I bought this year um the the smoke in uh great smoke version of the Monte Cristo Nicaragua because I was really curious to see what Altidus would do with that cigar, so I did buy a box of that. Um, I reviewed it; it was it was a decent cigar. Um, so and but I was surprised the TGS cigars that were 300 boxes was still out there. Um, and, and a couple points, you know, it probably isn't maybe the ne most necessarily people may not chase that down as much just because Monte Cristo is not a brand. We see the boutique people chase around. But, the, you know, but in general, I've seen most of these single store releases. They've disappointed me more than excited me um, in a lot of cases, except for the cases where I think it's been like, Eric, you've had a lot of success with, with products that you guys have done that have be gone on to become ongoing release so i mean i think you that's a good way that's a very good way to work some of these you know where you, you kind of test the market here uh and you go you work with someone like dojo and you that you guys promote it you guys you, you guys kind of collaborating with them 
Uh, and and then if it's a success with you guys, they can look at that as making it a successful national launch. I think that's a good that's a good model. I've seen that way. Yeah, so, you, usually. You know who does? No, go ahead, Jay. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say that uh, one company that I think does a really good job is Drew Estate. Uh, we've had a lot of people come into our store looking for the girl with no name, or they did the pancetta, and they did the was the year of the rabbit, and some of that stuff internationally, or like Romacraft with uh, Wonderlust doing that outside the United States. I think some of those things um, more online have been very effective to uh, cause buzz. I bought every one of those national, those international releases from U.S. retailers. I got to just say that. Uh, and a couple not at a bad price either. So I got the, um, what was it? I got the Oxes one year that went over. I think it was the year the Ox went overseas. The Wanderlust. I bought them in, from U.S. retailers, actually, who bought them uh, oh, yeah. From, yeah, from Europe. So, Like when uh, Fuente came out with the Dubai, I was uh, yeah. tracking down any customer that went to Dubai, and yeah. we'd buy it at retail, and we'd sell it, and I mean, like Opus X needs any buzz, but I think Drew Estate has, Drew Estate and Dojo, and I'm not saying it because you're on the show, Eric, I, Drew Estate and Dojo, I think, have done the best job. No question. Yep. yep. No, they've done good. Um, Jay, I want to stick with you. For, this is how I saw things, and, and if you guys could disagree with me on this, anyone could disagree. When I started doing this in like 2009, 2010, it used to be, I think those those stores that had a single store release, it was almost like they earned the right to have it. And I'm I'm thinking of some of those early Tatawahe releases where they've been really good purveyors of the brand, right? And hey, you're a really good purveyor of the brand. We're gonna give you something special to carry in in the store. Um, I think that's changed over the years where now I think it's maybe some of that, but now I think it's also who can write a check and you can get a single store release. So I'm just curious, Jay, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's more still a rite of passage or has it gone to who could write the check for this? I know with, with Dunbarton, um, it's Steve looks at a lot of a lot of uh, factors and the first factor that you know because I've talked to him about doing one here is it's got to make sense for Dunbarton it's got to make sense for his brand growing nationally and I think Steve's chosen well um you know Pete Pete's changed it and as a retailer I like it where you know for example when he re-released the the double d's with with Danny and Great Neck that he made other cigars available for some of his top retailers right um, I like what he's done with that. I think that's a great model, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, Pete and, uh, and, uh, Sokka have done a good job. Some of the other companies, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think Sokka, part of the reason Sokka has been very successful, it has been his, his single store releases. But he gives a shit about his single store releases. That's the difference. He really gives a shit about them. Like he's yeah, into I, it. He's into it. I believe he's really into it. You, you, know? you need to have the manufacturer dialed yeah. in. Um, I've seen some situations where the manufacturer just does it to get a check and it doesn't work out and yeah. it hurts both the retailer and the manufacturer. Um, but I think that the Steve Sock and Pete Johnson have done it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nielsen, I want to go to you on this one. I'm just kind of curious. Do you think it's it's who can write a check or do you think it, it still is a rite of passage to kind of earn earn the right to get it? Oops, I was on mute. Um, I think it's so situational. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, again, kind of what Jay talked about. I think if 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 done right and the manufacturer cares, like you were talking about, Steve, 
I think it's great, but I also think there's probably manufacturers that have something sitting on their back shelf, you know, just collecting dust. And they're like, well, it's a great way to get rid of some inventory. And they do a store exclusive, right? Yeah. Or they, they unload inventory just for the sake of it. So I think done right. And, you know, to a, to maybe another analogy, it's kind of like doing the, the PCA exclusives, right? I mean, you get the manufacturers that care and it can be done the right way. Or you get others that just say, you know what, I, I signed up for this. I'm just going to put something out there and here's our PCA exclusive and it doesn't go well. So yeah. I think it's so situational based on the manufacturer and the way they approach it. But it can be, if it's done right, I think it's great. But we've all seen, I mean, Coop, you talk about, it. I mean, it, it, it can, it can fail miserably too. Yeah, it can. Now, Eric, you've done a couple of dozen of these. Okay. You, you have a lot of experience with these, right? You've seen to partner with very good retailers and manufacturers. How do you see this in general? And I would say, take this outside of the dojo space if possible. Cause I think you, you have, you kind of have worked really well with the people you've, you've partnered with. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know how it normally works. I only kind of know how it works for us. Um, I'm assuming it's sort of the same way. Like, um, for instance, uh, you know, shops that re really move a lot of products, some of the manufacturers probably really want to do something with those guys and then vice versa, you know, shops that see a brand that really moves a lot of product, they probably really want to do something with, you know, uh, a hot brand so that they can have some buzz. So it probably works both ways, you know, um, and then it, it ultimately, uh, like has already been said on the show, um, even with uh, even with our stuff, if the ones that work the best are the ones where the manufacturer is, is really invested and involved. And those ones work better. You know, it's just, uh, it's as simple as that. Like if everybody, if for us, we have, you know, it's like three, three partners, it's us, the manufacturer and the retailer. Yeah. yeah. I, and I guess normally it would just be, you know, the two. So you got to have both of the, you got to have both entities, you know, really marketing and creating buzz and stuff before the product goes down. And yeah, you're, you guys are right. They, you know, I've seen ones that have failed terribly because they did it wrong or they, they didn't whatever. Right. There's a million reasons yeah. why it can, why it can fail. And then also I think, you know, another thing is, is um, the, 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 the very best ones that work the best, no matter what is sort of like almost like a new product, you know, just line extensions just don't do as well. I mean, mm -hmm. People just aren't as interested. They've tasted that before. Yeah, it's got a cool new size, or maybe it has, you know, it has the sub band on it now. But if it's not something that, um, you know, that they the customer wants to try because they've never had that before, that's really what where when they work the best, of course. And all of those things apply to what we do as well. I mean, we have a little bit of an advantage because we're like a, th a third party that has a big following, so you have like three parties working. But I'm sure that it scales down to just, you know, when it's the two parties doing it, it's probably the, the same as what we the the things that we run into are probably the same things that, that those guys run into as well. You know, no, good, good answer. How about you, Aaron? Loomis, anything on that you want to add? Yeah, I'm mean, not too much. I mean, I think it's fine that if, you know, if you know, a retailer and a manufacturer want to get together and, and do it, that's that's cool. If they, you know, nobody's forcing one to do it and the others, you know, not so. Um, whether it works out or, 
or not depends on both of them, as Eric said. And um, if it doesn't, it's a learning lesson for for both of them, and then they can decide in the future how they want to go about it. They you know partner with a different retailer, they want to partner with a different manufacturer. You know how all that works, but um, yeah, it's fine. To, I think to just do it if you want to do it. You know, I don't know that you have, you have to feel like you know you're going to hold a carrot above a, a retailer's head and say you know you know you're not you're not selling enough stuff here. If it makes sense to do it, then just do it. Otherwise, just say no. I think we all agree that it's probably it, it. There's a partnership between the manufacturer and retailer for these to work, right? But I've seen a lot of retailers just not do anything with these single store releases. It's kind of like they don't do nothing. They, they you know, they 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 think the manufacturer is going to do it all, uh, and the manufacturer on the other end saying, "Hey, I'm giving it to the retailer. You're like the distributor here. It's really your job to be, the, you know, the ones promoting this." So that's where I think sometimes some of these things kind of um go into a. Uh, a situation. Um, yeah. So, Eric, I know you have to go. Yeah, sorry, I got something come up. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so take care of yourself, Eric. Yeah, but thanks yeah. for joining. Thanks Little for joining. Emergency, sorry. No, 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 no apologies. Yep. So, so please, yeah, take care of yourself. Thanks for joining. We do appreciate you on this a lot. All right, see you, boys. Thanks. thanks. All right, thanks, all right. That's uh, our friend Cigar Dojo here. Um, so. I got a question for the for the for the panel here. All right, I want everyone to answer. So you're you're gonna put yourself your your cigar company, okay? And you got a really good limited release, and you have a hundred boxes of this limited release. So, um, do you think it's better to sell the hundred boxes to one store, or give one box to a hundred stores? I have a question on this. <clears throat> yep. I'll would let you there, answer first then. I'm going to let you answer first. Yeah. Well, well, would there be the opportunity to, is it, this is it? Like we know we're never going to ever produce this again, or is there opportunity to, I guess, reintroduce or introduce to manufacture more? Let's, let's kind of go with the latter scenario. Because I think the intern would be more interesting. I didn't kind of think which scenario, but let's go with the latter scenario. But if anyone so wants I, to answer either scenario, they can. Yeah. Well, so let's I go to the latter. So I think if if you have the opportunity, it's almost like chum in the water. I think you're better off getting a hundred boxes to a hundred different stores and creating buzz. Because if you give it to one store, again, just some the caveats to all what what one store would get it. But let's just assume. You know, we're going to go with this this idea. I would give it to a hundred different stores with a hundred individual boxes because you're going to create more of a, a depth and breadth and reach of creating buzz versus one store getting it. You've got no, you know, if you've got some, I don't know, call it old timers. Maybe yep. we're all old timers. They all hoard the boxes. They don't go on social media. They don't do anything. They just smoke them and you never hear about it again. So, if you're going to have the reach and you potentially could manufacture more. Then I would say a hundred different stores. Okay. Now, Jay, what about you? I'm curious if you're from the retailer point of view. What What do you think here? Because you're a retailer, and you'd probably love to have a hundred boxes and the opportunity to go through those. But is that something you'd want to take on? Yeah, the reality is that you know you're you're probably not going to be that one store. Um, I think it depends if it's a unique blend. Uh, give it to one store. Um, kind of like what the way Pete's done it in the past um, or the way that Saka does it. Um, but it depends. I mean, uh, Fuente has made a living 
off of, you know, we're going to send to our top 100 accounts, we're going to send you one or two boxes of, you know, this special Opus X, whatever. And that causes a lot of buzz for them. And, um, you know, for example, uh, we just got our Anejo app uh, allocations and they're thin. I mean, we're getting one box of sharks and I think the last few years, only three or four stores in Texas even get a box of sharks. So that works really well for our Toro Fuente. So I think if it's a reoccurring annual thing, like maybe you do something around Easter or the 4th of July or Thanksgiving or Christmas, I think it makes sense to split it up. But if it's a one-time, one-shot, it's probably better to go with one retailer. I know like Viaje a few years ago, they did a thing where it was like five retailers or 10 retailers and each got like 10 boxes or 20. I, I think if it's a unique blend, it should be one or just a couple of stores. So okay. isn't is it in some extent that's what uh, Perdomo is doing with the thirtieth? I mean, where where he was, Nick was talking about they're only giving the thirtieth to a handful of stores, which are the high volume. I think that's what he said. Yeah, seventy five stores because he doesn't have uh, enough tobacco because that's so yeah. aged. Um, and uh, to me, I mean that that's an example of you know we're not one of those stores, but we haven't earned it. There there are Nick's looking at his accounts that have done the best for him. And I think Nick's also done an interesting campaign. I don't think this is accidental. A lot of retailers are showing empty shelf space saying this is when it's going to, this it's going to be landing on Thursday or Friday or Monday. And I think that he's built a lot of anticipation. And as a retailer, you, you want to see what you can do if you want to grow with that account. Yeah. You know, Liga Pravada is like that with Drew Estate or 10th anniversary Liga or Opus X with Fuente or I know that when I was at the trade show, I really wanted to bring in uh, the Knight Commander and Matapa. Well, there were certain requirements from Foundation to carry those. So I think that it's a way to make your B accounts into A accounts and your A accounts into A plus accounts. And I think if you're a, a manufacturer and you just have a very limited amount of tobacco, it's a great way to grow your business and to really hone in on who your best retailers are. So I, I think that uh, there are some, some pluses in that for a manufacturer. Because let's face it, not every manufacturer has, not all, all their accounts are A accounts. Yep. All right. I'm going to go to Aaron. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, if I'm the manufacturer and I need to make retailers happy, I split it to the retailers. If I want to make the consumer happy, I send it to one retailer. Because if you send that one box to those was my 100, 100 retailers, no consumers are getting those cigars. Yep. That, that, was owners, my that was my feeling. Yep. Retail shop is smoking those cigars or he's giving them out to his Top 10 customers, he's giving them one each or whatever it is. No, no average Joe is getting one of those cigars, so it's kind of a waste. Um, yeah. It's it's really just a, a gift to the retailers. It's not for the, you know, it's like, I announced this. Hey, you can't get it, but, you know, these retailers, these 100 retailers are happy. So yeah. if, you, if you send them all to one retailer, obviously, maybe other shops are going to call and say, hey, I'll buy these off you. But, you know, at least the consumers, I think, have a shot at, at getting their hands on it. Yeah, no, that was exactly my answer. Um, but if you're gonna pick one retailer, it's got to be a purveyor. I think who is you know you you know that purveyor is gonna do a great job with it. Yeah, is what I say. But yeah, that was my problem with the, like I think you'll get like again the idea is it's only one box per retail. It's not like Perdomo these retailers are getting a lot more than one box, so it's not a limited one and done. You know, and I look at I I've seen this happen when one box goes to a store. 
how many of those cigars even go for sale at that point? Right. So I think there's a better chance, at least, especially if you're going to bring it back. Um, maybe go with the hundred, and you'll make your you'll create a consumer demand for that. I think in the case of my feeling is in the case of one box per store, you just get the consumers like I don't want to be bought. You know, I can't be bothered with this. Yeah. So, but you know, for example, look at the Padron Fuente collaboration, which I think that's going to be five hundred or a thousand boxes. You, they can't just send that to one retailer. Um, but you're right; there will be some hoarding by certain retailers it, that uh, you'll never see the light of day. So, yeah. Uh, what do you do? They're not shipping this week, are they? No. Okay. Um, you know, another, another option, which, you know, I'm, and I'm not I've sure heard, I've been, people have been telling me they're going to be shipping any day now. So, and this is not, I, this not, is not people in the companies telling me this. So. I'm not one to tell George Padron or Carlito Fuente how to do it. Right. But if I was in a situation like that, um, do an event in Miami and you invite your top 20% of your retailers and have them have tickets to invite their, their top customers and that that at that event you sell your hundred boxes. Um, that might be an interesting way to do it, but obviously That's there's a lot of cost it, involved. Yeah, interesting way. I never thought of that. Yeah, you know, like I know Padrone. I was going to go to an event that they were going to do to launch their foundation a few years ago, and then it got canceled due to COVID. But something like that, where you you bring in um, your best customers and you bring in your your best uh, retailers, and it's a one time shot. Uh, but then that's a lot of expense because you got airfare, hotel, all that. But that causes a lot of buzz. Um, you know, like Fuente did that with the thing in the Dominican uh, with the El Fumo things where they had 500 boxes. And and I don't know what the ticket was. It was like $500. And those boxes are now worth like $3,000. Uh, but that was more to celebrate the Dominican than necessarily going to retailers originally. I think that was their idea. Nice. All right, let's go to the rapid fire questions here. All right. And um we'll kind of go through these. So this is the first question. And it's kind of these situational ones, kind of what we just did with the hundred. So company XYZ is announcing they have a cigar and they're working with this brand new tobacco, this different tobacco. It could be a it could be a new varietal. It could be like and I'll just throw something for argument's sakes. We're growing a broadleaf wrapper in El Salvador. Okay, something like that. The question I have two two parts to the question. Number one is how excited are you about that? And number two is how many times have that that's has because we've seen releases like this before. How many times has a cigar that cigar met expectations? So Jay, I'll, I'll start with you because you're here. So there's like whatever this you know let's say it's an El Salvador broadleaf coming out, right? Are you excited about well, I, it, and does it satisfy you when, when the product comes out? I'm, I'm very excited about it, but the reality is that it takes time to make a new tobacco work. Um, yep. You know, Christian, for example, is releasing with his PCA blends this year, uh, new tobacco that he's working with in South America. Right. Uh, we saw with Aganorsa Leaf with their, I think it was a signature line, and those have become very, very good cigars. But it takes time sometimes when you're working with a new tobacco that maybe the first generation of cigars isn't going to be that great. And it takes time to work the tobacco. But I'm always excited to see something done unique. I thought what Christoph did with the guardrail uh, was very exciting. That's why I brought that brand that, in. And that it one, turned out to be a great cigar. I like that cigar, yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm always interested to see something done new. But the reality is, if I stop being a cigar geek for a second, typically when you're working with a new tobacco, it's not going to be it's not going to be the best until you've gone through multiple generations of the tobacco. So I'm excited about it. But traditionally, they don't sell that well. Um, like right now, I, my customers are not really that excited about the new stuff from Christian. But then we gave some of those to our locker members. We gave all of our locker members one of his new ones. And they're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And then it opened up the story to talk about how he's got these farms in South America and he's doing something interesting. So I think at least in our store, because we got behind it, it really got people more excited about CLE, Arroyo, and Asylum uh, that he's working with that. So I think it just depends. Um, but generally, it's it's difficult when you're working with new tobaccos because the results of the first crops are not going to be that good. Yep. I mean, what Christoph, I think, told me that they worked for two or three years to get that Zimbabwe tobacco so that they could have something that was uh, palatable. And they did a good job of holding back until they had a really good cigar that was ready. And Christoph did it right. Nice. All right, Nielsen, how about you? Does it excite me? Uh... It's always kind of a to be determined, right? I'll say excited, I don't know, intrigued, yes, right? I mean, because I've talked about it time and time again, there's so much stuff that comes out that just tastes the same. So if you get something that's new and provides a new flavor to the palate, absolutely. Nine out of 10 times, especially early on, does it live up to it? Absolutely not. I mean, so... I think you you we've seen before where I don't know if it's a necessarily new rapper, but you know we go in stages of of everything being um, like the the in thing, like the Connecticut's recently, um, the, you know the Corojo for a while, whatever it was, the the Broadleaf, whatever the case may be. I think once it's introduced to the market and then people get their hands on a new leaf that's sustainable, then it starts getting exciting because you can see what they can do with it, but just right off the bat, it's like anything, you know, you don't buy the first version of a, of a, maybe a, a, a new car because you know that there's, it's got to iron out the kinks. Right. So it's one of those where I, I would be excited or intrigued by the, not excited. I'd be intrigued by the new rapper, but I would, it's kind of a wait and see to see what the different manufacturers and blenders can do with the new rapper in this case. Yep. Yep. Loomis, how about you? No, I don't care about blends. So I don't <laughs> care about the tobacco you're using. Just make a good cigar. So you're not gonna you're gonna you're not sucking me in with this uh Mars tobacco. So <laughs> uh, so my answer is there's a couple of companies that I know have had a good track record with it. Like JRE is the one that comes to mind. JRE, if they told me they were growing a broadleaf tomorrow. I would be all in on it. But in most cases, these, these, and I think Sealy did a good job with, with the South American tobacco. I'll say that. But in most cases, I've been underwhelmed. And it goes back to what uh, Jay, I know you were saying, um, and, and Aaron, it, it, the first time through, it's not, it's, it usually disappoints. It takes, a, it, they have to get used to working with that tobacco. Seeing out of cigars come out, so usually the first release is just going to be usually underwhelming. I think the Cameroon that came out for Aladino was an exception to that. Uh, they got that to work very quickly, which was a, it was even a surprise to me. I think the Sumatra also has worked pretty well for them as well. So, but in most cases, um, 
I have just not been overwhelmed and uh, I've been, and, but I always am like, I think Aaron used the word intrigued. Maybe I'm not excited, but I'm intrigued to try it. It, yeah. it is a hundred percent. I think that's the best word with that. Yeah. Coop, one other example, I think that was very successful and maybe it's because it's the Garcia's when the Garcia's came out with their shade grown Corojo and they put it on the Escaso, uh, that was a home run. And I know that when Fonseca came out, I brought that in specifically because it had that wrapper. And then uh, when the Veracruz Blue came out because of that wrapper. Um, but like you said, yeah, it's usually the exception. I mean, like the Arroyas, for example, I think they were growing that tobacco for 20 years before they felt like it was right. So I think a lot of it depends on the patience of the grower and the manufacturer. Yeah. And I think the Arroyas and the Garcias are not going to put something out until they feel like they've knocked the kinks out of it. Right. Um, you know, one of the amazing things the Garcias have done that they don't get enough credit for is in the last 10 years, um, they have switched a lot of their tobacco from farmers who um, stopped sourcing them and they've had to, the pinks had to go out and grow tobacco. And what he and Jaime have done to keep the consistency of their blends with new tobacco that they're growing is one of those things that people just don't realize the exceptional job that Garcias have done uh, with transforming and maintaining their blends while seamlessly putting in new tobaccos they're growing. And like Aaron said, you know, Aaron Luma said, you know, the proof's in the pudding. And I think that they've done a good job. That they've, they haven't really talked about it, but behind the scenes, it's very impressive what that company has done. Nice. Uh, right. Let's go to the next question here. Actually, I'll, I'll make. I won't comment on Jay. I think my father went through a few growing pains before they got it right. Even with when they switched the farms, I think there was some growing pains for a couple of years, but they did get it right the last few years. You can see now. Well, I I think that was less tobacco because I, mean, I know you're probably referring to El Palencia and a couple of other blend, brands. I don't know if that was the tobacco or not. Um, it's hard. To, yeah, it's a but, fair comment. We you know, but. Yeah, well, was it just maybe they weren't as good blends? That's a fair comment. But I mean, so. look at a look at a cigar like Jaime Garcia, which the the grower has changed on that cigar, and that cigar still tastes as great as it ever has. And that's what I'm talking about. The the Garcias have done some impressive work, but yeah, they had a couple of missteps on a couple of brands, but uh, I think they have a good slugging percentage when you look at the cigars they've released over the last ten years and uh, the ratings. And I don't want mean to sound like a homer, but I think the Garcias yeah. have, for for a guy who grew up as a roller, for, for the the way that they uh, process their tobacco and grow their tobacco, I'm very impressed with the Garcias. Yeah. All right. Next question is around packaging, and it's a two part question we're going to answer. I want to know a company that needs a packaging refresh for one of their brands, and a company that should absolutely not touch their packaging at all. So I'm going to go to Aaron Nielsen first on this one. Um, one company that I think has great cigars that I would like to see redo their packaging is Kristoff. Um, I think they keep it simple, and I think there's there's something to be said about that, but I don't think that their cigars get the attention that they should. And I think a packaging or brand or a, a ba banding and, and just the way that the cigar is presented um, I think they could. I think they could benefit from an up, a refresh. And, and 
just so you know, they're actually changing the boxes on the cigars. They're getting away from the rough cut boxes and loose tobacco, but the bands are staying the same. But that is a plan they're doing. They told us that at PCA. But you're, I, I agree with what you're saying on on that part as well. I just think they have great cigars. And I think, and look, I think there's 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 some. How do I put it? I I think there, I, I kudos in terms of simplicity. I think there's there's something to be said about that. Right. I do think that, you know, you, you buy with your eyes and, and I think they could use a, a little bit of a refresh. And then yep. I'll just piggyback off of kind of the thing we've been going with. Just don't touch it. I would say my father, I just think the way that they package and I think what the way they, they go to market with their boxes and the way that they, they band and package, I think don't, don't touch anything that my father's doing. Okay. Good answers. Jay, how about you? You, you see a lot of these cigars come in your stores. One that you think a company needs to look at changing and one that not, not touch at all. Well, one that I think should not do any more changes is PDR. I think PDR has hurt themselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think Abe has shown a capacity to make some really good cigars, but I have had confusion with customers in the humidor and he's made a lot of good packaging changes, but it's time to sort of let that grow. Um, you know, I, as far as packaging that needs to change, yeah, I agree with with uh, with Aaron that uh, my father does a really good job. Uh, Fuente does an incredible job. I think Perdomo does an incredible job. Um, you know, one brand that I've had some challenges with uh, when they've added a couple of new lines was Casa Nineteen Ten. As a retailer, it was very was confusing my, to choice. me. Yep. Uh, to I had to look at the invoice and I had to pull out the cigars and basically run the barcodes to figure out what in the heck I had. And they have that's a company that has great cigars, but they're a little pricey and it's very confusing for me as a retailer. So I'm sure for consumers to understand what they have. Um, um, but yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the established brands have done a good job. Uh, I think Pete Johnson does a great job. I think Rocky Patel. I mean, Nick Perdomo just yeah. Ashton. They've Ashton's done some changes over the last few years that are have some great details. But yeah, I don't know if there's, you know, you could have said Illusion a couple of years ago. Um, oh, oh, and I'm going to make him upset, but that's okay. Uh, Agonorsa needs to stop making changes because yeah. they're cigars that I love from them. That me as a retailer, it's it's been harder for me to figure out what they're doing but i think agonorsa did a lot of good positive changes that were necessary but i think now they need to sort of just scale back and let those seep into market because Agon for a while, long time agonorsa's packaging was okay and they've done a stupendous job changing it but now it's 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 getting confusing um so i think uh kudos to agonorsa they've done a good job but it's it's time to stop sorry tj uh, good answer on that one. I, I agree on that one as well. Um, Let's go to you, Aaron. I know you said already you had the Casa 1910. Is there anyone? Yeah, I was thinking Casa 1910. Um, you know, they have the three different series um, kind of with different uh, secondary band colors. But the gold, like, script writing on there is super thin, and it's really hard to tell. Um, And, you know, it's not like you have three different Vitolas of the same blend, like in each series, there are three different blends. So it's like it's you can't read it from any sort of distance. So you can't really tell what they are. You'd have to know the size to know what you're getting. Um, 
the glossy gold on the main band is is kind of hard to see as well. It's, I think they just need to do something different there. Um, you know, and I know they put a lot of money into the brand and to create the image and all that stuff, but they need to take another swing at the at the bands that are on those cigars to to just make it a little easier to comprehend what it is. So, um, yeah, that's that's my shot for who should who should take a refresh. Um, for a company that doesn't need to do anything, um, I'll, I'll go with another smaller brand and go with Fratello. I mean, I think Great the way job. Those, Great those job. bands are set up is just, it's, you know, it was a unique style of band yeah. to make that happen. Um, I think it's really cool. Um, I would, you know, lean into it as much as they can. They kind of, they did it as much as they, I think they could with the lunar, um, you know, trying to keep the, the angles there, but it just, it doesn't play as well because, you just have the big moon on front and you can't really see the stuff, other stuff going on behind it. But the, all the core line stuff, it, it uses that cool style band. I like that. Yeah. And the boxes are really straightforward to, to kind of understand what, what the blend is. That's a good one. Uh, for me, the company, they have to change one line in particular. And I've, I've said this for years. Viaje has to just, scrap the white label project it's too damn confusing when you're especially if you're selling this cigar to collectors those white label things are impossible to identify unless you you have to manually label them in your in your personal humidor or even on your shop shelves if you don't have the box uh the white label stuff is just too damn confusing to me uh, and I, I can tell you I buy these white labels and I have white labels sitting in my house and I have to try to figure out what they are and some of them I just can't figure figure them out at all. So if I am if I am a white label, uh, it has to change. There's just there's just no there's no ifs ands or buts on that one with me. It's it's a it's a straightforward one. Um, the one that I think that you know I think the companies that have made some tweaks in recent years with the packaging, uh, I think should leave it alone. Perdomo, I think when they tweak their packaging, it's really sleek now. Easy to identify the cigars. So I like what Perdomo did. I think my father's come up several times. Uh, I think E.P. Carrillo has gotten a lot better with their packaging compared to 10 years ago. So, you know, especially the Perez Carrillo stuff, I think it's... When, when you have 10 refreshers in 10 years, you got to get one of them right, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I would definitely uh, put that one in there as as well. So I would I would definitely leave that one alone. Um the uh but yeah most yeah most is a, a bunch of good ones that you know like i like what jake wyatt did at the trade show this year i think the tweaks they made on their packaging were great that they did i think they needed to do that um so they they do a good job with that as well um and i had fratello as mine as well fratello is just to me it's a it's a uh it's unique omar's found so many ways to get creative with those bands color changes just I like I really like what he did with the lunar cigars this year. Um they just they just really pop out with that. Um the only one I didn't like that he did was Arlequin, but that's okay. I mean I'll just you know, you, you can have one one miss with that. All right. Next question. And when we answer this question, uh it's on new releases, okay? And um, we're not talking limited releases here. We're talking core line here. What's a company that needs to come out with a new core line? And which another company that should not do any more core lines for a while? So I'm going to go back to you, Nielsen, on this one. 
why you went to me first? Oh man. Um, <laughs> you uh, wanna, I could go to Jay and come back to you. So if you need, well, I don't want to ditch. I don't want to. Um, yeah. I was thinking about this from a core line, and I know there may be an asterisk this, but from a core line, I one of the names that came to mind was Ashton. So. I know they got the the Cuba stuff, and but I, I'm talking about core Ashton. What when's the the last core line from Ashton? Was it the cemetery? I'm it was the cemetery. It was the cemetery, which I think was 14 or 15. Right. So I mean, if you look at the brand that and the recognition that an Ashton has, they haven't mm-hmm. come up with anything from the core line. Nothing. So that would be the one that I said I that that's the first one that came to mind in terms of they need something additional to their core line was Ashton and then are we doing both or are we just yeah do both what's one that you uh that I would not do a another core line I, I, you know what because he puts us so 14 many... and it was 14 when they did the symmetry 2014 I'm gonna say Rocky I'm gonna say Rocky just you know what just just stop for a little while. I mean, it's just like so much. I mean, I'm all for new stuff and I'm all for, but it's like eight new lines a year. Just stop for a little while. Just stop. Yeah. So um, I'll go with Rocky. Slow. Just stop. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, Jay, how about you? Well, maybe we'll see it this year, but I'd love to see a new core line from Padron. I don't think they need it, but it will well, sell. Well, the, the 60, I don't know what the 60 is going to be, but there is a Padron 60 I know is coming out. Yeah, it would it would be interesting to see a new Padron line. I mean, Ashton, I agree, but I think part of that's just, you know, Fuente is so backlogged, I just don't see a core Ashton line coming out for a while. Um, as far as, and I, I'm going to, I know I'm going to get grief about this, but because um, I've been saying how what they're doing such a great job, but I would I think Foundation and Saka need to take a rest for a year or two. They've introduced a lot of lines to the market, yeah. and they're already coming out with more. Um, it's a it's a lot. Um, um, yeah, it would be really cool to see uh, Padron. I, I think Rocky's calmed down a bit. Uh, He's the last couple of years. Um, this year, I think it's only two lines. Um, <laughs> it was actually um, three. It was three, but yeah, that was three. There was what the Dark Star, the Conviction, and see the. Well, I guess it came out with the bundles. Yeah, the bundles. See the smoke. Yeah, um, which those have been well received. Um, you know. Drew estates like drinking through a, 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 a fire hose. Sometimes they have they've come out with so many um, things, but you know, Nica Rustica, they could probably add another line. I mean, Nica Rustica is a good value cigar. They're very popular at our store. Um, I could see Nica Rustica, Connecticut. So um, I don't know. It'd be I guess it's sort of Padron. It'd be great to see a new line. And maybe we'll see it. And, um, you know, it. Uh, I think Pete would probably agree with me. He's got so much. He's got stuff that he's made two or three years ago that's just sitting ready to be shipped. Um, maybe Pete could take a pause. But he's done a really good One thing that Pete does that a lot of companies don't do is 
he'll kind of retire a line for a few years and then come back. Yeah. And I think that he's done a good job addressing some of those issues. Um, I tell you a company that I think is out of control is STG with, you know, they keep, there's always, you know, it's, it's hard ridiculous. to keep track. It, 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 they were on my list um, because it's, so, but they throw a lot of limiteds in that too. But it, yeah, and they, they've yeah. done a good job. You know, it, we always like to pick on STG, but you know, like the Flint Knoll, even though I had a bad experience with that cigar, I think the Flint Knoll's has been an interesting experiment. I think the Amazon basin has been interesting. They, they've done some interesting things. Um, but it just seems like there's just so much coming out from them. It's hard for anything to to get any stability. They have two new Macanudo vintages, I think, that are coming out, or at least one. Um, it's, a, it's a lot uh, coming at you. Yeah. Um, I think Drew Estate, uh, amazingly, has come out with a lot of blends, like Underground 10, the M81, the new Nika Rustica, the 20-acre farm. And yet they've managed to do it well. I mean, Drew Estate... You know, we could pick on them all we want, but they, they have they have figured out how to saturate the market without saturating the market. Yeah, so yeah. kudos to them. They have. I agree. Okay, Loomis, what about you? I struggled to figure out a company about that needs to needs a release, right? So um I'm thinking about these a couple of brands that, you know, maybe have kind of fallen off the radar and think of like Southern Draw or Cabaracano. Um you know, they've kind of just fallen off the map, right? So I don't know if Southern Draw is even still in business or not, um, but they could use a, a a new core line or something to get them back Aaron, up. And Aaron, not to cut you off, so I almost said I could answer the say the question with Southern Draw. Both who needs this? <laughs> who needs to come out the new line? Right. There you go. Um, and then with uh, Cubarcano. They had a like they they still have a release that's like sitting out there that was announced but never released. Was, am I correct? In, yeah, in they the Lawman series. They have two. They have the Lawman and they have the uh, there's a Protocol Core line as well. Okay. Yeah. So um, that kind of just seems weird for them. But that yeah, uh, either one of those could use one. Which uh, one has said that's coming out? I mean, he he has said that. Um the the Kubarakane the. Pro- Cabarcano protocol release is um the uh crime scene unit. Okay. Yep. I think it's gonna be the yep. black the black banded one they're gonna have. And then it was a it was a female in the lawman series, right? Phoebe Cousins, to, yep. Yeah, Phoebe, Phoebe Cousins, yeah. Yep. So that was yep. supposed to happen too. This never yep. came. So yep. those would be my guess, my mind for who needs one. Uh for who should stop. Um I maybe see crown heads. Um, that was on mine. That was like, on mine. They and I have two one. reasons for this. One is it's just it's getting too busy. You know, so if you got, you know, it seems like they want to do it, you know, something every year. Um, not necessary. You got enough in the portfolio right now. Yeah. Um, my other thing is that, um, look for another, look for another manufacturing partner. Um, uh, I think the EPC partnership, um, I'd start wait, weaning myself off of that. Um, you know, maybe use Noxa a bit more if you're going to go that direction or find somebody else that can, that can work with you. But, um, I just think there's just too much EPC stuff there and I don't think that they're producing very good cigars. So, um, for themselves or anybody else. So I, you know, I'd maybe take a step back, uh, look somewhere else and kind of go a different direction. Yeah. I had crown heads on there. Um, but, but crown heads, you, they have things that they do that are interesting. Like 
the limited extensions that they do, I think are really cool, you know, of some of these lines. And you could do some of that rather than introduce a whole other core line. I would just take yeah, a I mean, break. But you got all these annual releases as well. So you know that you're getting, you know, Los yeah. Calaveras, you know, you're getting the TA right. one, all, like yeah. all these things that you know, and then you're adding all these and a new core line every year. It just yeah. seems like it's just too much. It's too much. I, I, I agree. I think the core lines are way too much with that. Yeah. Because those, um, you know, like I said, those year those annuals are different, you know, different yeah. blends. Usually, it's not like yeah. you're just getting a, a new release of the same blend every year. So, yeah, you know, you're getting like five new releases every year from that company. Yeah, and some of these lines have just not been produced for a while either. So, yeah, uh, it's not a knock on Crown Heads. I just think if they kind of, like I said, you know, really focus on a couple of these lines, like you know, they have a lot already there that just came out. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. Um, but you know, you see things like the. Uh, what was it? The um, I keep forgetting the name of the cigar. The, the Eddie Van Halen, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. The you e, know stuff. E, like, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Stuff like that. I would just like Siri E or whatever. Yeah. Siri. Yeah. I, I would just yeah. I take a little step back. You don't need to kind of introduce this just yet. Yeah. Um. I had AJ Fernandez also. I think they could still use. I know they did Dorado last year. I think they could still use another one. Uh, they, they AJ seems like he's doing cigars for everybody else right now. Um, I'd like to see something from him. And the other one I had, which I'm, the, I know they did, they did the um, Cuba Cuba Alietos, but I think Oliva, they've been just beating the, the Serie V Milano thing for so long right now. <laughs> right. Uh, the Gilberto Oliva was the last thing that came out, like, and I think that was 2016 or 17. I think they need something else at this point. Um, just, you know, again, I think, but it needs to be Oliva branded is what I'm saying. And it can't be a Siri V. So, um, you know, I know they're doing some other stuff for other companies right now, but that's what I'd like to see from them. Yeah. All right. We got three more questions here. Um, And these are shorter, I promise. Loud music at cigar events. So, you go to these, and, and, and I know some of this, I'll, I'll say, and I'm talking like, you go to these, I'm talking the, I'm talking a major event here, like a, a PCA or a festival where they just blast this music to the point where you can't have a conversation. Why? What is, is can anyone tell me, a, I, I think the answer to everyone is, we don't like it, right? But what is the purpose of it? Is, does anyone have a, can anyone give me some insights into why this is done? I don't have any insight other than, you know, make it seem like something exciting is happening. Yeah. We couldn't even, I couldn't even talk half the time. The great smoke. We had to get back off of the main play. I mean, it was, we, it was loud. loud. It was loud. Yeah, it was okay. loud. No uh, Manuel, Casada, Manuel Casada at pro cigar gave the order. No loud music till 11 o'clock at the, at the, at the evening. He, he laid down the law on that one. How about you, Jay? Anything on that? Do you do? I don't think you do loud music at your events. Uh, I hate it, but you know maybe we should ask Mitchell or somebody who's younger. Yeah. Um, you know there are some cigar stores that uh, thrive on loud music, and some people really like it. Um, it's just not my cup of tea. But I think there is a definite segment in the cigar industry where people like to be in sort of a, a loud club scene, and that's just not me. But I think that there are a lot of consumers that like it. Lazona Palooza, and Hector knows I already told him about. It. They blasted the music this year, like and you know they have the warehouse piece and then they have the outside piece. So they had a, they had music playing inside the warehouse, 
And they came out and they took the two speakers and started blasting the music out to us. <laughs> like we were trying to have conversations at Lozano Palooza out there. That was the only drawback I think at Lozano was 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 that they were bland and was loud. And it wasn't like they were, you know, again, I didn't see a lot of pe- people. I think people left early because of the music. I really do. Um they at the at the um when they went to the botanical garden, it wasn't as bad. But yeah. So um I, I just don't see any because we preach as an industry camaraderie, you know, we have these conversations with these guys. So you have these big events which are great things, and then you have loud music. I mean, I'm talking very loud music. I'm not talking music. I have no problem if the music is playing, but I'm talking very loud music where you can't have a conversation. Yeah. One of the cigar stores in town here plays ultra loud music where it was going into the VIP room. And I, I had someone and it's like, what is the point? You can't even have a conversation with it. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see if you turn the music, down, I guarantee you, you're going to do better. You are going to do better. Whatever event, you're just going to get more people engaged than, than having that music that loud. All right. Next question. Um, your favorite flavor note in a cigar and your least favorite flavor note in a cigar. Jay, we'll start with you. Oh, um, I don't like a cigar that's overly sweet. Um, Grand Habano 20 did it where it didn't really bother me, but I don't like really sweet, molassy type flavors. Um, my favorite is I like a, oh, and I also really don't like super spicy. Um, you know, you can, th- as far as I'm concerned, you can take half the Nicaraguan cigars out there and throw them out the door. <laughs> I think Oliva does it right. I think Perdomo does it right. Um, I think Pete does it right. But sometimes I smoke something from AJ or some of these other guys, and it's just like, you know, why don't I just put a habanero on my tongue? It's awfully hard to enjoy the cigar. Um, but I, I do like sort of a chocolatey, creamy experience. Uh, that's probably because I, I like broadleaf. I like uh, Connecticut broadleaf. I like Pennsylvania broadleaf. Um, I, now, and this is going to sound weird that I say this, I like the sweetness of a Cameroon, but it's not that over sickly sweetness yeah, where it's like yeah. overripe fruit and I know you don't like that either, but something over if it's overly sweet, it's like oof. Yeah, especially that raisin. Not my thing. Have, yeah. And then sometimes cigars have I don't know what you call it. I call it rock, but sometimes cigars just have this very earthy thing where I feel like I need to scrub my tongue with um, soap, and it's just I don't know how you what <laughs> what you describe it as. It's just awful. Uh, whatever it is that produces that flavor, I don't like it, but I can't really identify what you call it or what tobaccos produce it, but I just know I don't like it in a cigar. Good one. Nielsen, how about you? Oh, I know you weren't going to Loomis because he doesn't like anything, so he just... Well, <laughs> we're going to save him for the grand finale. Yeah, don't worry. But uh, just to keep it simple, I, uh, I'm a big fan of cream, like the, the creamy notes um, in a cigar because I think it... Uh, when you get the cream, it's, it's typically well-balanced, uh, not overly sweet, et cetera. What I don't like and kind of piggybacking off of what Jay said, I earth, like the earthy, like dirt, I just, that earth flavor. I mean, it, it, you know, we've all talked about, there's no crescendo, get that muddled, you know, back yeah. half of the car that gets earthy and just muddled. I just, 
to me, I, I'll, I'd rather light up another one and, and enjoy it versus that earthiness that just gets, you can't pick out anything else. It's just that earth. Yep. All right, Aaron, is there any flavor note you like? There is, but I'll talk about the ones I don't like first. Okay. <laughs> Nico, get, get <laughs> alphabetical. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're not no, I mean, um, um, if it charred anything, like if it's charred wood or anything like uh, that's going on, like that's not, I, I'm not interested. So don't, you know, keep your, keep your, keep your toast levels at an, at a decent level. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to taste that. Um, and if, if the scars over overly earthy as well, it's just, I'm not, you know, it's too much. I can handle a fair amount, but not, not when you're just filling my mouth with dirt. It's not, that's not fun. Uh, but my favorite flavor note in a cigar is cinnamon. Okay. Uh, if I can get cinnamon, that's top notch. So, um, anybody that wants to sky score high on development palettes, sprinkle some cinnamon in there and we <laughs> score, score really well. There you go. There you go. You got the secret there. Right. So my favorite was mocha. It's that chocolate where you get a little bit of sweetness and that dark, co that black coffee note kind of yeah. melding together. Right. You give me that. I, I, I love it. My least favorite is floral. I cannot stand an overly florally perfumey type of cigar. I like floral notes, yeah. I don't like it. I know. Bear likes it too. I just, yeah. if it's in there and it's a smaller component of it, I'm fine with it. Uh, the same with that. I think someone mentioned the overly sweet jammy note. Uh, usually, mm -hmm. I get that jammy note or that raisin, that overly sweet raisin. It's it's not the cigar's not ready, yeah. uh, in my opinion. But I don't like the floor. I know a lot of people like floral notes, and and you know, like for example, I know like one reason I didn't like four kicks. I thought it was overly floral. Um, mm -hmm. Not that it was you know it was just. And I know people love that cigar, so it's it's probably more me on Brandon, that one. Twentieth, you didn't like because it was florally. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't love the twentieth. Um, to be honest with you, the the Grand Habano twentieth, yeah. I know Bear and I talked a lot. Bear loves a floral note. I know that. So, all right. And yeah. here's the, what, yeah. what's that? What's that one note that it kind of tastes like furniture covered in plastic in the seventies and a certain company, a lot of their cigars taste like that. Um, and I don't, I don't want to point out any names. Well, I need to know the name of the company to figure out what this flavor the, is. The, the, I call it the number seven blend because the, the number seven company, but a lot of their cigars, I've tasted their $110 cigar and their $80 cigar and their $40 cigar. And it's almost like, I feel like there's plastic covering what it is. And I don't know what that flavor is. It's just, it's artificial. It's like that saccharine taste. Oh, and yeah. it just doesn't hit me. And I'm not trying to throw them under the bus because I know that I've heard some some buzz about some of their other cigars that are good. But I, I just, maybe that's why I just don't like that brand that much. Oh, by the way, I, uh, I got to give, yeah. <laughs> I, I give an honorable mention to Rotting Paper. Uh, that's the June Lu note. Uh, when oh, I, yeah. I I have gotten the Rotting Paper note, <laughs> and it's awful. So <laughs> when I have, I tend, I tend to get that at the end of a cigar a lot of times. That Rotting Paper is absolutely uh, not on there. Okay, the last question. This is There's no wrong answer on this one either. You want to watch a reality show about a cigar company or a personality or a family. What's the one cigar company, family, personality, reality show you want to see? And I'll start with Jay this time. Oh, man. I would love to see a show with Dion. Because <laughs> you, it would be a great 
show like in the it sort of be like English comedy. You'd ask him a question and he would sit there and he would think about it. And then he'd have the most brilliant response and it would be delayed and it would be a very layered, well thought out answer. And I just think that it would just be like a perfect uh, English comedy. I think I think Dion could really do it. And, you know, he can crack his occasional joke. I think that would be awesome. All right. Nielsen. Uh, this one's easy. This one, this one was the easier one for me. Matt Booth. So I could watch you get milked. He likes to milk you, Coop. So I, I'll go with <laughs> Booth. Booth in a reality show would be just, I, I mean, his humor to me. Oh, God. It would be. Uh... It gets hysterical. So. Watching Booth for for a, a season would be to me just hysterical. So I think uh, I could only imagine what shenanigans that guy would come up with on camera. So I'll go with Matt Booth. Loomis, um, I might go kind of in a similar vein, uh, but go with like Lost and Found. So you had like Caldwell and Bellato and kind of seeing yeah, that's an some of the hijinks and stuff of what's going on. Uh, but another interesting one would be, um, I think Miami Cigar. So like, yeah. you know, Nestor Miranda and Jason Wood kind of just seeing how that dynamic worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got two answers as well. So the first one, we kind of already get a, a good glimpse of this, but maybe I'd like to see it packaged into a show. Raphael Nadal. Right. World traveler, eater, you know, lives the life. Um, he could be on, yeah, he, he could do a show, but we get a lot of that already from Raphael. And so that's like, you know, you, you see a lot, but I know I'd still like to see it packaged into something. Um, Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous Part 2. Right, right, right. <laughs> if Robin Leach was around, I'd be, I'd be saying you got to put Raphael on the show, right? Right. He lives a good, but there is a there is kind of an intrigue thing, um, because I think they're they're really there's an interesting dynamic that, um, and again I'm not I, I guess maybe this is delving a little personal, but I think the whole uh, Garcia Johnson thing would be interesting, you know, just to see that, you know, because it is very unique what's happened, uh, you know, Pete kind of. Uh, marrying a Garcia and all that. The Garcias, I think, have a little bit of an aura about them. I think Pete's got a little bit of a, you know, aura at him. I kind of like to be. I think it'd be interesting just to see that. I'm not looking necessarily to expose any family secrets, but it's kind of like see the dynamics with all this. See how they they interact. I, I think that would be interesting with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone said Matt Booth and Justin Andrews. Now, I would like to see Ben Lee as a guest star on the Justin. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're shit. You're shit. <laughs> your fault. It's your oh, fault. man. He... <laughs> you should have seen some of the text messages this week. On poor Justin from Ben. <laughs> can't even go there. <laughs> ben is just vicious. He just has no patience for Justin. <laughs> All right. All right. So, hey, guys, uh, we, we did keep you under three hours, but uh, we did go late. So I uh, want to thank everyone. Uh, thank you guys for being a part of the show. I know we put this together this week. Uh, Jay, Aaron, Aaron, much appreciated. Um, as far as um, next week goes, uh, no show because it's Thanksgiving. But the week after, we have Jared Trudeau from Kristoff coming back to the show. So, uh 
We'll be talking a lot of Christoph stuff with Jared. So I always, always love having Jared on the show. So looking forward to that. Um, if you're following um, the Jukebox show, uh, we're doing – you could send the hate mail to me on this, but we're doing a show Monday. We're doing the Christmas and holiday music show. Um, we record it early. Not even Thanksgiving yet. Yeah, but 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 we it's the recording. It's the problem is if we record it too late, we don't get a lot of views on it, right? Because we put them out like December fifteenth. It's only people only listen to it for two weeks. So, uh, so yeah. But you can download it and listen to it whenever you want. Is what I'm telling you. Don't have to listen to it on Monday live. But uh, I actually think we we did our best Christmas music show this year. So I think the, Mm -hmm. the stuff we picked was really really good. Uh. Last year, uh, Nielsen, I picked your dad's, uh, your dad, yeah. the, the one he did, uh, I, I, you know, I, I want you for Christmas, which is one of my all time favorites, by the way. Thank uh, you. That, that music video is so funny. <laughs> they do the marionettes of the, of the cheap trick band. So that, that, so that made the list last year, but we did change the songs up this year. So, uh, it was good. Oh, job. And, uh, just as not that anybody cares, and they probably read about this in Who Gives a Shit magazine, but, uh my dad's going with eclectic group this year too they go every year thanksgiving i won't see my dad it's uh, my dad sting and uh stevie van zandt from uh from bruce springsteen the 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 three of them are going with their wives on a european vacation so i can only imagine what's going to take place (laughs) wow that's a that's an that's an eclectic group (laughs) steven i wonder if they're gonna go to lily hammers (laughs) i don't know Oh, but I'll, you gotta have I'll to give us. You gotta get some reports on this. You gotta get oh. us some. Yeah, this is this is cool. That's some, cool. I'll have my dad take some selfies of Sting and probably bathing in some sort of Roman pond or something yeah. like that over there. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. So you won't be seeing your dad on that. But uh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but again, thanks you guys. Again, uh, thanks our audience as well for hanging in there. As well, uh, that wraps up Primetime Episode 288 into the Annals of History for Thursday, November 16th. Now Friday, November 17th on the East Coast. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody if we don't uh, get a chance to wish you one. And we'll see you in two weeks. Take care, everybody. See you guys.